Willis's Mutations and Martin Landau. Welcome to the Marvel vs. Marvel. It is a podcast where two comedians explore the world of Marvel characters and stories. One has never read a Marvel comic book in his life, and he will re-watch a Marvel movie or a TV show, and then he'll quiz me, someone who is literally taught to read with Marvel comics as a Wayne, and has since become something of a Marvel expert. Hello, and welcome to the show. Uh, I'm comedian and writer and Marvel expert Rob Holden, and I'm joined as ever by the man that's powered by naught but ignorance. It's Mr. Will Preston. Ah, yes, the new car coming out this 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 spring. The the fear the fear naught but ignorance. I don't know. It sounded like a car. You made it sound like I, a car. That's how ignorant I am. I, have, I love cars. I have realised that uh, the introductions are really not fair to you. Because what no. I do is I tell everyone I'm a comedian and a writer. And then it's just a guy I found on the street. <laughs> this bloody muggins. Muggins we found in the gubbins. It's Willie P, the man from the bin. I, I should perhaps say, and I'm joined as ever by comedian and 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 prom- I'm not promoter anymore, are you though? No, I, I start. Right. Comedians write for themselves. Could be. Just say, just say yeah, comedian. I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that because comedian writer makes me sound like a big poncy playwright, okay. doesn't it, Rob? Oh, <laughs> fight! How about ignorant comedian Will Preston? Is that does that feel? That seems to does that not sum it up? No, that, 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 get the that does sound somewhere. like I do a lot of terrible, terrible jokes <laughs> about <laughs> politics. <laughs> He's Britain's only right wing comedian. <laughs> um. Oh, that trope! I love it. You join us in the middle of the Versaversary, our one-year anniversary, mm. and we're uh, we're so excited uh, to be. We've got such a packed show for you. This episode, we are delving our toe back into the uh, the Marvel '90s animated universe with an exploration of two episodes of Spider-Man: The Animated Series. In this. Episode will take you behind the scenes on the creation of what really is one of the most important things to ever happen to Marvel, one of the most important building blocks on that road to the MCU and to global domination that they Marvel have right now. We'll explore the origins of, of classic Marvel characters, Spider-Man villains like the Lizard and the Scorpion. We'll reveal why J. Jonah Jameson hates Spider-Man. We'll discuss why the black cat is acting an awful lot like Gwen Stacy, and we'll tell you all about our very exclusive 100 Club. That's all to come in this episode right mm. here. Very excited for this one, very. Will. And the Versaversary has been rolling on the month of April. We launched um, a fantastic new series on Patreon, and the down we had, we had a uh, on the unscripted show, which was uh, out and about here last week, which has just been a wonderful, wonderful reaction to that. People getting to hear us more as comedians than as people that talk about <laughs> comics and movies. Yes, yes, that was that was kind of fun—a stripped back, laid back, unscripted. Two blokes, you know, occasionally going at each other. <laughs> Occasion- oh, occasionally, yeah, it was a was, real fun. I, I, show. I'm trying to remember Hope what happened, but I future. think there was. Some roughing, uh, and we're going to have to see rough how that all pans out. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm um, all up for that, mate. Yeah, we've got some. I mean, uh, I think the Versa Versa is a good is a good chance or a good place to uh, thank some places that we've got. Um, places to thank that have done all kinds of downloads for us. I've been looking at the uh, the lifelong downloads of the show. Um, big shout out, of course, to our, our motherland, the United Kingdom. Um, and then let's not forget these incredible places around the world. California, Washington, Texas, Illinois, New York, Florida, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. All doing big, big numbers for us in the United States. Canada, Australia, wow. Germany, Ireland, India, and the Philippines. We see you. We thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Um, those are just the, the top, top, top places that downloaders in the last year. Um, many parts of America, many states in America, doing big numbers, like numbers as big as other countries are doing. So uh, that's just incredible and fantastic to see. Um and uh, while we're talking Versaversary, we, we've had some special things come out, and we're not done uh, because in the next uh, in the next week, in the week where normally there would not be a show for you to listen to on Spotify, Apple, and everywhere else, we're going to bring you an extra episode, a Versaversary special presentation of one of our full-length bonus episodes <laughs> from Patreon. That's right, we're going to take an exclusive episode from Patreon, going to take it from behind the paywall and release it to all of you for free as a thank you for a one year of supporting us and listening to us and downloading us and sending us all that love. It's one of our best episodes ever. That's according to all our loyal, wonderful subscribers. It is an X-Men-centric podcast, but it's also an episode that focuses on the boom period of superhero comics, the boom period of Marvel comics, and Marvel's bankruptcy in the 90s. Next week, we're going to be a special presentation and release of the Age of Apocalypse. Will, you're the man that's out and about on the Twitter, not the Twitter sphere, the <laughs> intro web sphere, um, a lot more active than I am, putting out some wonderful, wonderful things. On Twitch, what can you tell us? What have you been doing on Twitch this last week? Okay, well, this uh, the week before, I was a bit ill in, on some day, so I, I, I pretty much had like one Twitch session, but I had a couple this week. They were quite fun. Uh, I was doing XCOM 2. And uh, Marvel versus Marvel fan Sean joined in, <laughs> joined in, and said, "Hey, hey. I." Yeah, that was that was that was quite that was quite a nice addition. But yeah, it's been fun. I've had people, some people, follow me from from doing that. I'm going to keep doing that until May, when uh, I'm planned to change game to Subnautica Below Zero because I like variety. XCON rings a bell, but I don't know why. I've probably just seen adverts for it or seen it on on Twitter or something. I I, I it's popped up. It's it's the they had the first one. The first game actually came out in 1993, and I think I've mentioned it before on the podcast because the, <laughs> this is the thing: the 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 XCOM logo and the uh, jet plane they used in the original game uh, kind of looked like the Blackbird from the X Men, and it looked had had a similar kind of logo to the X Men as well. It, 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 there was some weird <laughs> similarities. 
Very cool. Yeah. Didn't, the Black, didn't you tell me the Blackbird is actually built? It was actually based on a, on a real plane, though. Didn't you tell me that? It was based on a real plane, and I did try and make this on Kerbal Space Program because uh, of real physics and stuff. I wanted to try and do it. It's it's it is called the Blackbird. Is it's it was a, a reconnaissance craft used during the Cold War. The idea was it could go extremely high altitude. And then it would actually be used as a spy craft. You get to use, you get to sort of go inside one on one of the Call of Duty games. You don't get to pilot it or anything fun, but it's like, oh, that's quite cool. Do, do, do they have vertical takeoff? They do not have vertical takeoff, sadly. No, they're they're they're, uh... they're, they're, they're built. They're very they're very horizontal craft. <laughs> very 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 pinny. You know what I mean? They're like they look like they could slice through everything. They're very interesting aircraft. <laughs> I, I, anyway, that's what I'll be playing. XCOM 2, uh, yeah, you, you fight the aliens. It's turn-based combat. It's brilliant. I love it. So Marvel versus Marvel fans can watch you play and sometimes join, well, join in the chat, join in the conversation. Um, how do they go about doing that, Will? They can get me, get me, find me, harass me. Uh, <laughs> Twitch.tv slash Will Preston 87. If you get me on there, you can have, give me a good old chat while I play. Now, no Marvel versus Marvel episode would be complete without a murky, dark, dank, swampy trip into the disease, no, into the mind of a muggle, an average person. Ladies and gentlemen, can you imagine that? An average person. We found one, we've captured him, we've locked him into a contract so he can't go anywhere else and he has to do this every couple of weeks. Um, so, Will, obviously we've heard... Well, that's the thing, we've heard a lot about Spider-Man um, because we've covered three Spider-Man movies so mm. far on the journey, but specifically with relation to this cartoon... And the thing I, that, that we were asking people yeah, is, yeah. is is not just the cartoon, but also the the, the action figures and the toys, because they were absolutely everywhere. What are your memories, then? Before I go to memories, I'd like to point out how at the start of the podcast, you were like, ah, it's a bit mean, you know, Colton, you're making you sound like you just dragged someone off the street. And then you switch on that to, Will has a diseased brain and he's contractibly obliged to spill garbage out of his mouth for the podcast. No, 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 no. You're contractually obliged to be here. The things that come out of your mouth... Just so happen to be ignorant. Have you got the lawyers with you? <laughs> Always. Always. At all times. They're in the room with me, trying not to breathe. Just in case they ruin the recording sound. Anyway, yeah. Spider-Man in the 90s. Yeah, this was advertised everywhere. I never watched it, though. And I regret not watching it. But yeah, adverts were all over the place. It, it, this was the big thing on the children's TV. But yeah, just just didn't watch it. I'm very surprised. You never watched it. Never watched it. You did it. the, the X Men show. You did, but yeah. you never heard the Spider Man X Men show. I did. Yeah, I, I guess uh, X Men drew me in more than the idea of Spider Man. Spider Man seemed a bit like Superman, and I was already. I don't know. I don't know what was wrong with me back then. Maybe I was Wait, like, too committed stop. to the Batman side. Rewind. Rewind. What? Here we Spider-Man go. Spider Man seemed a lot like Superman. You know, like, oh, he's an archetypical superhero. And X-Men was like, this is interesting. They're all from around the world and have different powers. This is cool. 
I, I, okay, what I'm going to take from this is that you'd never heard of the X-Men before. So that then is a bold new idea. By the time you're a kid in, in 93, 94, mm. Spider-Man as a concept, as a character, as a property, has been around for a few decades. So you're, it perhaps seems like an old idea. There have actually been multiple cartoons on on the airwaves before this. Is that oh, yeah. what we're getting at? I I I I I was just on about as the 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 idea of the superhero in general, like right. one person doing his thing rather than a whole team. I guess I like the whole team aspect of like the X Men and stuff. It was really attractive to loads of people. I think I think X Men drew in that cartoon specifically mm. drew in so many people that were not. Uh, superhero kind of aficionados or fans or readers or anything like that people yeah. that might actually be a little adverse to the superhero were drawn in by the idea of the X-Men yeah. um, I think because they they shared so many so much groundwork had been done with Saturday morning cartoons and action adventure series mm. that had borrowed so liberally slash completely ripped off and stolen <laughs> from superhero <laughs> comics to create all their you know, whatever it might be, Ninja Turtles and uh, Jason the Will Warriors and all this sort of stuff that lay the groundwork. So then, uh, it's more appealing. And yeah. you, no, no, no action figures, no toys from this series. No, nothing. I, I didn't have anything, anything to do with this series at all. I went through. I found an online list <laughs> with photos <laughs> of all every every um, line of toys. And I counted how many I had, and I think it's upwards of ten. Oh wow! Um, I had multiple Spider-Man, uh, Spider-Men, I should say. I had two Venoms, a Carnage. I had um, a Punisher, and I didn't remember the Punisher for ages. I, I breezed past the pun- the picture of the Punisher, and I went, "No, I didn't have the Punisher." And then, upon second glance, I saw he had a tiny little plastic knife that you could stick or attach to his boots. And I went, oh my god, I remember that tiny plastic knife from when I was 11 or whatever it was. And I went, I had that Punisher. And then I looked again, I looked at the gun, and I went, yeah, "Yeah, I had that Punisher. I had the... Their Doctor Strange was amazing. It had this... He was so poseable and bendable, and like, he had... He had. He, I, you're, I don't know why I'm, I'm. I'm showing Will a hand gesture that Doctor Strange was doing, knowing full well this is an audio format. But his hands were in a cool position, so yeah, yeah. they they looked like he was spell casting. He had a big, malleable rubber cloak, the the, the cloak of levitation, which is now famous from the movies. Yes. that came on and off, and also weirdly, he was wearing like a a sash belt, right? Right. For, for some reason, you know, sculpted plastic figures can't really have cloth coming off them. Yeah? Because it's plastic. Yeah, because it's all one mould. Yeah. They were so insistent on Doctor Strange having a sash belt that they made it a bit of rubber that you stuck in through a... You, you popped the sash belt into his waist so he had a sash belt <laughs> i have no idea why this was such an important design point that they had to include it um and he, he had um like almost uh, a crystal ball but it was an orb yeah. on a red stand that it had a demon head inside super cool that figure cool. um 
uh, I had loads from this series because, and we'll get to it, because it had so many different heroes and villains appearing in it, we got so many different uh, toys of characters that weren't being... That was the frustrating thing about Marvel, especially in the UK. There weren't as much access to the toy lines. So you had to wait for a movie or a TV show to come along to make the action figures of the characters you I was reading and desperately wanted to kind of play with. And so to a certain extent, when these um, X-Men and Spider-Man line... Uh, cartoons came out and the toy lines came out i was a li- i was getting a little too old to the point where i probably <laughs> wouldn't admit it in school that i was getting these toys yeah but yeah. my whole childhood i'd wanted a a and you know x-men figures and but and they weren't they weren't really you could get spider-man you could get him you, you could get a wolverine but beyond that you know you weren't getting anything else so this was i was Sort of shame buying in my <laughs> in my late late childhood shame years. buying. Wow. Well, we don't have the dollars and cents to look into when it comes to taking a peek at the production. Mm. But there's a lot to talk about, and I know you've. I mean, I've got. I've done research. You've done research. Um, so, what can you tell us then? For what have you discovered and found out? about this landmark TV series? Well, I found a few things, some very interesting things. Uh, I, I got here on a big old list. Okay, so I'll start from, I'll start from the beginning. While Marvel's X-Men animated series was, being, uh, was produced by Saban, Spider-Man was produced by the newly formed Marvel Films Animation. It was the only series that the in-house studio produced. Mm-hmm. So that's so that's the first. It's the, it's the first in-house produced thing. Was the first. Yeah. the The problem with this is there's discrepancies. Yeah. Because I th- I think Marvel Films Animation didn't last very long. It was very quickly because they bought. Do you remember we talked about in the Iron Man episode, New World and the switchover. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. I think this project started as Marvel Films Animation, but by the time it was coming out, it, it, Marvel Films Animation didn't exist anymore, and it was New World uh, Productions Animation, New World Animation. By the time it came out, I think, which might be why it's the only series because they started and then they changed the name completely and became something else. Oh wow! Mm. It's it. I mean, I mean, from I won't spoil what happens in the uh, bonus episode that we. I, I was almost almost going to say you're going to leak it, but you're not leaking it. You're giving free access to the bonus episode when we deal with the bankruptcy stuff. It, it made me oh, think. in the age of apocalypse. Yeah, yeah, yeah ties in with it's that. It's essential. It's essential listening. And I don't want to. Um, I don't want to harp on about it, but I'm still angry about it. From what you told me, it's horrible. <laughs> it's absolutely horrible what happened. It's very. It, it's the. It, it's like the death of Marvel. I mean, yeah. they're still here, but. It is like hearing the death of Marvel. It really is. Mm. And just like anything to do with Marvel, it came back from the dead. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Ben is still dead. He's not going anywhere. No, he's, he's, he's the gold standard of mortality. <laughs> oh, God, that was a dark way of saying it. So another fact was uh, was for many for many years, the series was... Uh, the se- for many years, uh, the series was the second longest-running Marvel show created after X-Men, as well as the longest-running series based on Spider-Man, until Ultimate Spider-Man surpassed its record in 2015. Uh, the show, the show's over like 20 years old now. Yeah. And I read somewhere, and I 
I, I don't know if this is, I haven't backed this up with subsequent research, but I read that there hasn't been a single year since it was created that it hasn't been on the, in the last 20 plus years, 25 years, there hasn't been a single year that it's not been on the air in, in reruns somewhere in syndication. And now of course, Disney plus that's an incredible legacy. Incredible. And I mean, I, I, I really want to watch the rest of the series. I, I went through the X-Men animated series on, on Disney plus and it was entertaining. And I just get the feeling that Spider-Man is going to be that bit better. I, I really want. I really want to go through all of them after watching it, these. It's a it's a great series. It really is. The last one, no, it's the X Men. The last one, the last series of X Men gets a little. Uh, they they start to skimp on the end, don't they? Yeah, anyway. I heard there was some things about the end, but we, we won't talk about that. I did see a Christmas episode though. That that felt a bit weird. <laughs> I was like, yeah. why why do this? Uh, also. Uh, Spider-Man, its cancellation after 65 episodes was due to disagreements between executive producer Avi Arad and network head Margaret Loesch that forced the show to be cancelled. So, yeah. There are rumours Avi uh, intentionally did that because they wanted to do their own show. They didn't want Fox involved anymore. That makes sense. But who knows? Who knows? Av, if, if anyone, if anyone could do it, it would be Avi because he's a a a, 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 a a man of bold business moves. There we go. But Margaret Loesch, we got, remember what we said about her? How, how how good she was at getting all this stuff in 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 place. Oh, Margaret Margaret Loesch is like it's possible though. It, not that there wouldn't be a Marvel Cinematic World without her. But it wouldn't have happened in the same way at the same pace and speed. Yeah. It's it's she's the one that championed X Men on Fox and made it happen. And she's the one that sold Fox executives on X Men as a movie brand. So she's incredibly important. Oh, it's and, and and you know, worked so closely with Stan Lee and with Marvel and stuff, yeah. Also, the studio originally wanted uh, Martin Pascoe who was the story editor for Batman the Animated Series. But when the negotiations broke down, John Semper Jr. was called by Stan Lee. Stan Lee then told Semper that Martin Pascoe had been fired. Semper was then brought on to work on the show immediately. Uh, in 1994, Semper began working on Spider-Man the Animated Series as a story editor. However, upon starting his job, he learned that no writing had been done. Semper then took it upon himself to write the scripts for every episode except for five once in a secure position, John Semper made his first demand of the combined Fox Marvel forces by making them buy him a complete collection of Spider-Man comics. Fox and Marvel had the idea that armed with six trade paperbacks, Semper was going to create a 65-episode series. However, he told them no, invest the money in the books, and they could use them for reference. Semper got his comics, and as 1993 moved into 1994, the story editor began researching more than 30 years of Spider-Man lore, building the foundation of the series. And I will say, it really shows. I haven't read Spider-Man comics, but you you can tell... That they're trying to fit into a narrative that isn't so easy to fit into a, a, a Saturday morning cartoon, if that makes sense. I get the feeling they're trying to... You know you know when something is trying to adapt something for something else. You can feel not the growing pains, not the strange, not the stretch marks, but the kind of not-so-clean uh, adaptation, if you will. Right. 
Yeah, yeah, because they, because there there are people coming in from all sides, references to other people that I don't under, that only I understand. If, if I if I was watching this completely oblivious to what the, everything is to do in the Spider Man universe, like Oscorp and things like that, I would be there going, "What has that got to do with anything?" But I'm getting everything. Everything's put in place like it would would do it. You know, if, if he had this all planned ahead. That does, however, reflect reading Marvel comics for the first time because. You go, uh, you know, Spider Man. If you just buy the 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 Amazing Spider Man, and Spider Man is making reference to the Fantastic Four or Stark Industries mm. or this that and the other, you don't have a reference point for yeah. those until you start to go further. Um, yeah, well, I've got I've got I've got a lot on John Semper um, I, to 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 go through. I did like I'll mention it more, but I did like the references to the Fantastic Four and the Avengers he makes in the cartoon. I was like, "Oh, I yeah. love that. I love it when they do that in Marvel stuff." Uh, according to John Semper Jr., he was forbidden from doing season-long story arcs, but did it anyways and almost got fired for it. However, he was allowed to get away with it because Marvel was dealing with their financial problems. Semper has stated that he is proud that he did season-long story arcs because it forced the viewers to pay attention. Semper has also said he is proud of the fact that he made enemies over this decision. You, I, I have a feeling you've got a lot to say about Semper because he sounds—he sounds like a. I've got, I've got, I've got a bit. He's—he's he's very, very. He. This show does not. This show only has one father mm. and, it, and one author, and it's and it's you know lots and lots of talented people worked on this show, but in terms of making it happen, like forcing it through, almost mm. he birthed this series and and is this is again this is another landmark building block to get to get us to the MCU to get us to a point where the whole world accepts Marvel and John Semper Junior is a really really big part of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah he sounds it. Marvel had no creative control on the TV series because at the time, Marvel was in a tough time and close to bankruptcy. However, Stanley had influence on the show's first 13 episodes. When Night of the Lizard first aired, Spider-Man the Animated Series became an instant hit. Because of this, heads at Fox were considering bumping the series' episode order from 65 to 100. However, Jeez. this did not happen. Yeah, Amazing. The villains Sand and finally uh, nice little bit of fact. Uh, the villains Sandman and Electro could not be used in the series because James Cameron was planning to use them in a Spider-Man movie he was going to make. The film ended up not being made, and toward the end of the series, Semper got to use Electro, but ran out of time in the series before he could use Sandman. I would love to see a Marvel film directed by James Cameron, who was going to be his Spider-Man. Do you know his Peter Parker? Oh no, who was going to be it? Who's going to be a Spider-Man? Leo. Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, that that was he, he was attached to the project. Leonardo DiCaprio as Peter Parker. Oh my god. And uh James Cameron as the director. This was I I really hope one day in in one way or another we get to do an episode or more about Marvel movies that never happened, <laughs> nearly happened, and never did. Because there's loads and loads of cool, cool stories and cool stuff in in all of those uh, to do. Because we've mentioned the uh, Captain America. Well, the ones that kind of did happen was the Captain America film, but there was also that Fantastic Four film. But I only know about that because of Arrested Development. <laughs> well, I think we'll probably get to everything that's been committed to celluloid. Digital or, or or otherwise, I think we'll get to. 
um, it, one way or another. Yeah. Although I still refuse to do X Men: The Last Stand. Oh, but um, uh, but the the projects that never happened. Now I know. So there's a lot. There's a lot of rumors and, and innuendo around the censorship. Yeah, I was going to get onto of this cartoon series. Yeah. Um, and it's become always a myth of its own. What can you tell us about the alleged censorship well, of this show? As well as production notes and fun facts about the show, I've also got a list of censorship, and I I, I love this. Oh. I, I I needed to have this in the episode. I needed. To, I I didn't didn't have to twist your arm. I was really happy about that. I did. I, I was expecting to go. This seems a bit strenuous, Will, but I was happy you left it in. Uh, so basically, the series was also known for its high level of censorship. Uh, well. As you will say, it's uh, is it become a bit of a myth. But the censorship apparently included the following: Spider-Man and other characters were never allowed to punch anyone. I mean, that's evident. In if you if you watch the show, that is evident. Yeah. But I have to say, I don't think I ever noticed it until someone pointed it out to me. Well, they they don't punch anyone because I I, I yeah I can't I can't I can't um, think. I'm trying to think. Does he punch anyone? But he swings at them. No, they they never do. He never punches anyone. But what I'm saying mm. is, it's not like you watch the show and you go, "This is ridiculous. Why hasn't he punched anyone?" <laughs> I've watched this show as a kid and as an adult, and I've never noticed it until the the no punching thing was pointed out to me. And then I went, "Oh yeah, you know what? I think you're right." But it doesn't stand out as, "Oh my god, what? It's ruined the show." That reminds me when I did film studies in college, we had a bit about censorship. And apparently, one big thing in censorship that can really ruffle feathers is headbutting. Really, headbutting apparently is one of those things where it's like, okay, punching's one thing about violence, but headbutting's a horrible thing. That they go, no, no. And apparently Spider-Man got a 12A. One of the claims was, oh, it takes place in an urban environment or something like that. In the Spider-Man films. What? Yeah, because they're like, oh, it's an urban environment and violence and stuff. It's not a kid's film. I think that they said something like that. I'm completely lost. I, you don't like the Spider-Man movie? Yeah. The first one? Yeah, Sam Raimi. The Sam Raimi one. And it got censored because it happens in an urban environment. Well, they, they, what, the, the, the whole movie? The rating got, got a 12A, didn't it? Didn't it get a 12A or something? I have no idea. I, th- I, don't remember I think it got we bumped from a PG to a twelve A because it was urban violence. Relatable. Oh, urban violence, not urban. I thought you said urban. Sorry, urban violence. So you know what I mean. You know what I mean. Urban. No. Basically, uh, violence in an urban setting. That sounds like a white person saying it's very black. <laughs> I don't know what they're talking about. It does. Urban is the code word, isn't it? I am, this I, is urban music I, and urban movie. I am parroting what that very white person told me from BBFC. Well, let, let's get back to the car. Let's, let's get back to the censorship. Okay, no realistic weapons were allowed to be shown. Only laser weapons were allowed in the series. I, that, that's the same with, with a lot of cartoons. You're never going to see realistic weapons in any cartoon. Uh, characters were not allowed to say words like die, death, or kill. Instead of these words, uh, characters like Spider-Man would say to that burglar, got Uncle Ben. So didn't kill Uncle Ben, he got Uncle Ben. Also, when the Destroyer told the story about how his wife died, he said that his wife was caught in the crossfire. So this is this is quite creative censorship. This is, people, you know, have discussions about censorship, but sometimes it forces you to get creative with the with the way you describe things, and and that's quite interesting. The way they manage to still essentially say the same thing, but with just a yeah. little word change. So it's okay for kids. Also, uh, Carnage in the comics was a serial killer. In the series, he was not allowed to kill anyone. So who's changed to? A lunatic. <laughs> However, it was implied he has killed people, but this is never seen on screen. The Punisher, as well, was not allowed to kill people, but it was implied that he had killed before. 
when characters would be killed, uh, such as Uncle Ben, Kingpin's father, and Jack Murdoch, they would be killed off screen. Morbius was not allowed to suck characters' blood through his fangs. Just, just explain. Mor- Morbius is a famous Spider-Man. Well, not very famous. He's a Spider-Man character who is a, a vampire. They're making a allegedly making a Jared Leto movie with him at some point. Oh God, Jared Leto. Uh, yeah, so it, he, he's not allowed to suck characters' blood through his fangs. So he sucked the blood through suction cups that are on the palms of his hands. Yeah, that's not more horrifying, is it? That's just. That's, that's, that's Lovecraftian. Additionally, Morbius and other characters were not allowed to say the word blood. The word plasma was used in its place. When the Sinister Six was introduced, the team had to be renamed the Insidious Six because the network censors thought the word sinister sounded too frightening. This is strange because at the same time, X-Men the animated series was using the character Mr. Sinister. Characters, oh, last one. Characters were not allowed to break glass windows and show broken glass. I think it's to stop kids imitating that. I can believe all of them. Yeah, you can. But I think if you sit down with a lot of Saturday morning cartoon shows, mm. <laughs> you'll find exactly the same rules. Um, uh, John Semper Jr. has said that a lot has been made of this censorship mm. in the in the Spider-Man fandom, um, but he said it's really been exaggerated, and it's no. And John Semper is a man that will know it's no stricter than any other kids' cartoon of, of the same time. Um, laser weapons instead of guns is so prevalent when I was growing up in the eighties yeah. and nineties in cartoons. Um, not saying death, die, and kill, so prevalent, um, and I can imagine things like broken glass going oh yeah but then kids might break a glass window and kill themselves (laughs) i can see all that taking place um the morbius one really sticks out to me because i remember that being super weird as a kid and insidious six was weird as a kid as well it it kind of still works i like that it kind of still works even though I, i i yeah i know what you mean um i remember when um but this is not restricted to kids cartoons when um (laughs) <laughs> various times in wrestling history Ooh. wrestling shows that have been on major networks uh, later not late at night but you know sort of eight, 8 or 9 o'clock have been told by the networks yeah you can't say um you want to kill him you want to beat him up you want to attack him you want you can't say words like violence you can't say i'm going to destroy you you can't say hate you can't say i hate you on a wrestling show about people fighting each other. You couldn't say the word fight or the word hate. So the networks can get very weird with language, yeah. um, especially if they're nervous about the show. Oh, God. Um, I strongly dislike you. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, have... I can't, I can't think of the word now. I have ill feelings towards your actions. I have grievances, <laughs> sir. Grievances. <laughs> So to build off Will's great research uh, going into the production, I'm going to take more of a specific look at some of the moving parts here as we lay the foundation for the, for the for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So things that you'll remember, we would hope, from the Iron Man animated episode, which is fast becoming now <laughs> really important to how we put all this all this stuff together. Because of what we covered in that episode to do with Ron Perlman, not that one, and and New World Entertainment. So, New World Entertainment at the time of this is the parent company 
of Marvel Comics. It's its new owner, Ron Perlman, <laughs> um, not not Hellboy, buys New World Entertainment and sees Marvel as being a mini Disney. And that's the first time anyone had ever taken that view on Marvel. That these characters have tons and tons of value beyond comic books. Tons of value as properties and brands that you can sell and make money off in other ways. So Perlman goes on this spending spree with New World Entertainment and he buys or merges Marvel with other companies. And one of those companies is Toy Biz, the toy company that made all the action figures for Marvel Comics. Avi Arad, the, the co-owner of Toy Biz, becomes a very powerful executive in this New World Entertainment Marvel Group and is appointed as the head of New World Animation. New World Animation takes over from, I'm assuming, Marvel Films Animation mm. or Marvel Animation Films or whatever we talked about earlier. And New World Animation would now be responsible for all Marvel animated show, most Marvel animated shows. Avi is the man who would then go on to basically f- start forming Marvel Studios and help launch the MCU and like what we're seeing here in 93 94 is that he's essentially doing the same stuff he would go on to do in the late 2000s that would get us Iron Man um if if Ron Perlman could see the potential in in Marvel characters to make money outside of comic books Avi Arad had a clear like he it, it was a concrete reality to Avi Arad he could see how to do it since the boom of the 1980s animations, Saturday morning cartoons had been used to sell tens of millions of dollars of toys and action figures in America and, 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 and the UK and Canada and Australia, all around the world. From G.I. Joe, He-Man, Transformers, Ninja Turtles, My Little Pony, the list is endless. You... The, the cartoon grabs kids and acts as essentially a free 30-minute advert. <laughs> that Well, not free, you have to actually make the show, yeah. but you know you get money back from a network paying you to, have to, to make the show. So as long as you, you make a profit on the show and then make even more money selling the toys, the action figures, the play sets, the, the bread sheets, you know, all of that stuff. And Avi knows that Marvel can do the same as Ninja Turtles and Transformers and all of that. So after the thunderous success of the X-Men animated series, Fox Kids is looking for another Marvel cartoon to give them another hit. And Avi knew. I imagine Stan did as well. Mm. But Avi knew that it has to be Spider-Man. Marvel's yeah. number one character, most popular character, biggest property since the 1960s. So New World Animation and Fox Kids start production on an animated series. But six months in, the wheels come off. And that's when the uh, animated series Batman guy, I forget his name I forget, was base, who was basically the driving force mm. on the project that nothing had really happened on. He's either left or he's forced out amongst some really big political issues there's a lot of moving parts between fox kids between marvel comics and between new world animation it's a very 
business politics situation. The Spider-Man cartoon is in trouble. They needed immediate help to get it off the ground quickly because they have a ticking clock. Enter John Semper Jr. Um, John Semper Jr. at that point had a successful career in animation and also in, in, in children's, not just children's live action, he also wrote a movie for Kid and Play. Don't know if you remember Kid and Play? I, but don't, you should. I don't remember that. Um, uh, his, his career is both a writer and a producer. He wrote loads of scripts in one of his earliest jobs for Scooby-Doo cartoon and worked uh, at Hanna-Barbera. And when he works at Hanna-Barbera, he works underneath Margaret Loesch. Ah. Super, super important to the X-Men story. Um, and when Loesch leaves Hanna-Barbera to go and work for the old Marvel Productions company on cartoons... John Semper goes with her because they're close and work well together. And so over at Marvel Productions early on in his career, John Semper Jr. works closely with not just Loesch, but also Stan Lee. And a real relationship, a business relationship is, is partnership is formed there. Semper in the 80s had written everything from the Jetsons and, <laughs> and Fraggle Rock and Scooby-Doo <laughs> to Super Friends, DuckTales, and my favourite... The completely forgotten Bionic 6. So when the Spider-Man project is in serious trouble and needs a new producer, there are, to to create the show from scratch, there are two people desperate for there to be a new producer-writer. There's the head of the network that it's on, Margaret Loesch, and there's the very influential person at New World Animation, Stan Lee. So, of course, it is incredibly natural that the person they both agree they need is John Semper Jr. Because he's that tying link. They both had worked with him so so closely and so well. So, unlike the X-Men cartoon, where none of the writers... We talked about how none of the writers on the X-Men cartoon had read an X-Men comic before. Mm. And that actually that played in quite well to how the series was developed. John Semper Jr., he used to read Marvel comics every morning as he took the cold, <laughs> freezing cold subway train to school. From the age of like 14, 15, he discovers the Fantastic Four and Spider-Man. He buys them from the newsstand um, at the subway station. He gets on the train and he reads them when he's going to school. And and, and he, he's spoken um, in, in some great interviews about being really struck at the time at how different Marvel comics were to Superman and Batman comics that he's used to reading. And what he's talking about is all the things we've talked about. The existential questioning, the emotional wroughtness, the realness, the interpersonal arguing and fighting, the working class hero. And uh, Semper starts with, with, with issue two or three of Spider-Man um, and and you know what he loved about it it wasn't like anything he'd read before in comics he loved the ongoing narrative and the soap opera lives of Spidey's supporting cast those are really ingrained in his mind as so such an indelible part of 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 Spider-Man um and he how every issue of Spider-Man left him wanting to read the next issue because of that and I can tell you that, by and large, Silver Age Superman and Batman comics of the time, it's not that each story was self-contained, but it didn't have an ongoing... It didn't really have this 
the same level of ongoing drama that would make you go, I want the next one. It was kind of villain of the week, villain of the month defeated, the end. Um, so John Semper Jr. goes away to college and he's got Spider-Man posters on his dorm walls and he's at Harvard Ooh. when Stan Lee comes to give a talk at Harvard about Marvel Comics and about being Stan Lee. And John Semper Jr. is one of the students that pays his $15 admission fee to hear Stan Lee speak. Um, and I, I think it's clear that what he was able to usher into being with this cartoon, it's clear that John Semper Jr. knew what made Spider-Man great. Not just work, but but different and, and, and bold and great. Semper has given some great interviews. I'll, 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 I'll drop you some things at the end if you want to find those out. Where he said that the original producer of this cartoon, the writer-producer that you talked about from the animated series, it wasn't that he wasn't a good writer or a good producer. It was that actually what was needed was to survive the political situation that was going on between all these... Uh, Competitive, combative uh, forces. Fox Network, New World Animation, Marvel Comics, Ron Perlman's influence mm. spreading on through the down. Um, Semper says he was brought in specifically by Stan Lee, basically because Stan did not want the headache of trying to create the Spider-Man show from scratch himself. He did not have the time or the inclination to do that. Um, Semper had a clear vision for this show. Simply put, he wanted to recreate what it was like to read Spider-Man comics in the 60s and 70s. Most Saturday morning cartoons, X-Men aside, were short little one-off stories that didn't really carry any weight come the next episode. Some of that is good, some of that is bad. Mm. I'd say Batman the Animated Series falls into that category. It's not that things don't carry over, it's that they generally don't carry over. Mm. It's not that that makes those shows uh, lightweight, because obviously the Animated Series set new standards and won Emmys and all of that. But by and large, it's a, every episode of the Batman Animated Series is a self-contained, one and done, he beats the bad yeah. guy, and it you know, and that's that. The next episode isn't like... What's going on with his love interest? Because he doesn't really have that. <laughs> Semper knew that to do Spider-Man properly, mm. you need to have serialized storytelling. Yes. Not just a two-parter, not just recurring supporting cast or a villain that comes back three episodes later. The life of Peter Parker and his friends and family needs to flow from one episode to the next like a soap opera. That's not to say every episode ends... With a cliffhanger, mm. like a lot of long form serial dramas do or soap operas do, but the lives have to kind of flow. Um, the problems need to grow, unfortunately, because it's Spider Man. Spider Man's adventures and problems all need to kind of impact the next one. Um, but as you alluded to, that was not a popular approach. Despite the success of the X Men series doing roughly the same, not I don't think in the same way, um, but but it was doing roughly the same. The people in charge, New World Animation and Fox, simply want this to be like all the existing successful cartoon shows in history that had good ratings and sold a lot of toys. Um, in, in, in interviews, Semper has said, 
like you alluded to, that he really had to push and push to get serialized storytelling through. Um, talking about pissing people off, his old boss, Margaret Loesch, sent him three memos instructing him to stop trying to end episodes with cliffhangers. <laughs> Like, he, he, he was able to get through, I think, almost on the quiet that all these stories flowed one episode to the other. Mm. But cliffhangers were a, a, a definitive marker. You could look at a script and go, well, then that person, ha- that is telling me this is serialized storytelling. Mm. Unless you're really paying attention, not really paying attention, if you're an executive that doesn't really care, yeah. you can get away with a lot unless there's a cliffhanger in there. Yeah. Three memos instructing him to stop with the cliffhangers, and that's when they threatened to fire him. Um, because he was ignoring a lot of that. Um, like you said, for the first 13 episodes of season one, there's something of a committee involving Stanley yeah. that would go through Semper's scripts and make alterations and, and additions. And Semper actually speaks quite fondly of this because he's getting to work really closely with a man he greatly admires. Hmm. And he says... It was great for forming the voice of J. Jenna Jameson and this, that, and the other. It was great for... There are so many lines in those first 13 episodes where John says, that's a stand line. I can tell you that's a stand line. <laughs> so often, it's the perfect line, yeah. one I couldn't have come up with. Um, but the politics at the start was really intense. Everyone wanted this to be a big hit and to make a lot of money. That's a lot of pressure. Um, Semper's... Mandate came from Avi Arid, who's the head of this production wing. And it's basically it he's described it not as you're making a toy commercial. Just sell toys, sell toys, sell toys. Mm. That was not the mandate. The mandate was include as many eye-catching great heroes and villains as you possibly can, so we can keep making toys. Yeah. So it's not it. I mean that it's entirely possible that's what an artist has to tell themselves when they're actually making a toy commercial. <laughs> so who knows? But um after the first thirteen episodes, uh John Semper Jr. says he is writing and creating the Spider Man animated series with zero oversight, zero creative input from any other creative force, right? There's no Stanley at the studio. There's, and there's certainly not Marvel Comics. Semper says that Avi Arid sent a memo to Marvel Comics informing them in no uncertain terms that Marvel Comics would have zero input into the cartoon. There was a lot of tension. Semper says the series is based on, on, on the, the spirit of the characters and the stories from the 60s, 70s and 80s. But the 90s stories, the late 80s and 90s stories, were looked down on by everyone involved in the show. The writers and the producers. Semper says that Marvel in the 90s is not just financially... I mean, it probably isn't financially struggling just yet, but it's creatively struggling. Spider-Man especially. Um, Semper mentions things like the bloodthirsty carnage storyline that went mm. on and on and on the clone saga that hadn't actually come out <laughs> yet but was brewing and we talked about yeah. and and perhaps most shocking of all something you don't know about a 2 year story will two years. that saw the 
that saw the resurrection of Spider-Man's parents. No! All examples of straying really far from what Spider-Man was about. Mm. Um, He's talking about a really odd period where Spider-Man goes dark and grim and it's very odd. Now I'll tell you, the bizarre nightmare of Peter Parker's parents, Peter's actual descent into madness is the basis for this month's full-length bonus episode on Patreon. It's a weird, dark, odd time in in Spider-Man's history. I would think probably the worst. Um, so to get a true sense of what was going on in the Spider-Man comics at the time of this cartoon, you will need to join us on Patreon. We absolutely love hearing from you guys. That's what has made this year, this first year of Marvel vs. Marvel so fantastic for us um, to have constant like feedback and to have guys getting in touch. You can always tweet us at Marvel Versus. We've got some amazing, amazing people uh, in that little Twitter community interacting with us so much, asking for little bits of info and trivia and what's going on with the show and what's happening next. And don't forget, you can always drop us a line, Marvel Versus Marvel at gmail.com. In fact, I think Will has... A Marvel mailbag for us there. I've got the Marvel mailbag of Marvel mailbags. It's quite a big one this time. Okay, Jake's Donaldson writes in about the animated Spider-Man. I love this show. I rewatched it again recently, and it still stands up. Love the fact yes. that the intro was recorded by the guitarist from Aerosmith. Love the fact the writers have never read a Spidey comic in their lives, and that's what that's why it's got more of a focus on relationships because they didn't know well, anything about the powers and villains, etc. We've we've debunked that one, Jake. I think you're talking about the the X Men cartoon series. There, um, I had seen a few people talk about that as well. Yeah. Um, I think it carries over perhaps from the from the X Men one where they're quite they're quite um, vocal about them never read, reading X Men comics before. But I mean, no, the the main creative force mm. in this in this show is a massive Spider Man fan. Imagine that, Rob, being vocal about never reading Marvel comics. <laughs> you can the fools the fools the fools the diseased brained men we found in a bin fools <laughs> he continues love the fact stanley's wife did the voice of madam webb love the fact he loves a lot of facts here love the fact they only put hobgoblin in it because they already made a load of toys and it would cost them millions if they didn't <laughs> oh man secret hobgoblin is one of my all-time favorite supervillains so what I'm hoping to get the chance to do is to do a special Hobgoblin episode. We'll take a couple of um, the, 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 the two-parter he's in here in this series and we'll do a whole Hobgoblin uh, Hobgoblin episode at some point because I'd love to do that. Can I, can, I, can I check who the Hobgoblin is? What's the difference between him and the Green Goblin? The name yeah. and the colour scheme the colour sc- and the person wearing the mask. Yeah. Or is that going to have to wait? I just told you the name, the colour scheme, the person wearing the mask. What more do you want to know? You said the hobgoblin. They're different people. Oh, never mind. Never mind. We'll, we'll cover it later. We'll cover it later. We will. We will. It's fine. We've got another one here from Timothy Chismar, who, I hope I pronounced that right, was annoyed at the censorship. That Morbius... 
that Morpheus, one of my all-time favourite characters, had to have suckers on his hands because we can't have vampires that actually bite people. Ah! P.S. It's cool to have Whistler and Blade in there. I'm a Midnight Suns boy for life. Oh, Midnight Suns, get on it, yeah. I'm just still stuck at suckers on the hands. Because all I'm thinking he doesn't... now is he could just climb up walls. He doesn't drink blood he sucks plasma through his hands that's the most politically correct vampire terminology i've ever heard in my life he drinks plasma (laughs) (laughs) adam turrick got in touch to say this was my in to spider-man helped educate me loads on his villains and everyday life revisited a few years ago and was stunned at how fast-paced the dialogue was there was literally no break between dialogue from one scene to the next scene in Spidey's inner monologue. They crammed in as much as they could into one episode. I'd like to say how impressed I was with the dialogue because when, you, when you're a grown man with, with, with um, income and a, 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 right. a, your own bed and whatnot, <laughs> you, 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 I've paid for furniture and I'm a grown man, I have responsibility, and I'm there going, the dialogue in this car, Saturday morning cartoon is quite good. You know... What I'm, I'm, I'm. What's furniture? What's you having furniture got to do with the dialogue being good? It's, it's, it's the. I'm it's, so confused. I, 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 I'm trying to make the the gap between. I'm a responsible adult. I have no time to watch these sort of things and watching oh, a kid, okay. what is essentially a kids' cartoon. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, yeah. that was a bit of a strenuous. Uh, Responsible, as we all know, responsibility is denoted by. Furniture in the house. With great flat pack when you, becomes great responsibility. Listen, <laughs> when you try, if you try and adopt someone, you, you got it. Your place has got to be full of furniture. And then I'll say, "What a responsible person! Give him a baby." Oh That's how God. it works. Look at that table. Have ten. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've got a, a letter here from uh, Peter Abrams, who shared some childhood memories. This was the best program of my childhood. Love the characters. Love the fact. Everybody's loving the facts here. Love the fact storylines continued. Had never seen anything like it as a kid. Started my superhero love and love for Spider-Man. The same name reinforced it. Lol. The episode with the goblin on the bridge inspired me to jump off my sofa onto my brother. Missing. (laughs) (laughs) Missing and hitting the corner edge of our coffee table. Cutting my head open and my mum rushing us to hospital with a towel over my head to hide my true identity. Even made the nurse pinky swear not to tell anyone I was the real Spider-Man. It's a scar I still have today. Why didn't I do anything interesting as a kid? I just sat in my room and played Goldeneye. I didn't do anything anything like subterfuge and violence. I think uh, clearly what Peter Abrams is telling us is that that list of uh, censorship needs to be one longer. <laughs> there should have been no goblins on bridges because this this poor this poor guy went to hospital with a with a broken face. No jumping, <laughs> no jumping at all. Spider Man can't jump. He can swing, can't jump. And we got yeah. we got one uh, last letter here. Competitive uh, bodybuilder and professional wrestler Kev Lloyd gave us his origin story. I remember this. Remember in this TV show, Peter Parker had a six pack, and I think a lot of other characters did too. So as a kid, I always thought that this is how a man should look in society, and how I should look when I'm older. Dragon Ball Z further instilled instilled this impression on me. Hence, I started weight training from an early age. Oof, bulk. That's what it's about. Wow. Bulk. <laughs> 
What a journey, uh, and that it, for for Kev Lloyd, uh, professionally known in some areas as Sexy Kev. Hey. Um, and hopefully, when uh, society opens back up again in the northwest, you'll be able to see Kev Lloyd, aka Sexy Kev, wrestling and grappling at a town hall near you. Uh, and when you do see him being sexy, hitting a suplex, choking someone out, you'll know. That it's all because of Peter Parker's abs. <laughs> sexy Kev. <laughs> sexy suplex. Uh, so you get in touch with us. Twitter, Marvel. No. <laughs> Twitter, at Marvel Versus. Or you can uh, send us love via email. Marvel versus Marvel at gmail.com. We've been doing this for a year now, folks. We love, love, love hearing from you. Um, and the best way to get in touch with us. The best way to get in that conversation and, and, and find out all about us is by heading to our website where all our bonus content lives and doing the right thing. It's Patreon, baby. Patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. And this month, we launched an exclusive club. The 100 Club. Ooh. An exclusive club for subscribers who want to give us or have given us a hundred pounds or more pledged to this podcast. Some can enter it through long loyal support pledging month after month to get to that hundred figure and others can and have bought their way in with a one time pledge of 100 cheddar bills. Cheddar bills. Um, And we reward members of this club with some Marvel versus Marvel experiences that you can't get anywhere else. We will uh, and have arranged live video calls with the two of us where you, you, you can ask us any questions, uh, debate things with us, tell us we're wrong, which we're not going to stand for about something. Um, you can you can bring up any Marvel, anything we've covered in the past, anything you've got questions with, you can talk to us about Anything you want, uh, as long as it's legal. Anything legal, we don't show feet. Anything legal <laughs> that you want. You heard that, Quentin Tarantino? No feet. Or, alternatively, and we've already started this, we can record for you as a reward in the 100 Club a special bespoke audio recording, sort of like a mini episode, where you can set the topic for debate and discussion. <laughs> and someone's already yep. done that. They've already taken advantage of their reward put that request in for me and will to give our signature marvel versus marvel treatment to the fast and the furious movie franchise <laughs> which is a joke from an old bonus episode that that they liked so that's going to be a, a special mini recording no one else will ever get to hear um that will just be uh that will just be one of the members of the 100 club entering the 100 club this month some high Rolling G's Peter J who's been with us since the start Cody who's been with us since pretty much the start and Patrick S thank you so much for all the love and support welcome to the most exclusive part of the club we've got more names during the club next month so look out in your messages on Patreon if you think you've given enough um, or you can buy your way in right now join that club get a unique experience a, a fantastic uh, live, basically a live version of the show just for you, or a bespoke little mini recording for you. Uh, pledge £100, set that up with us. But do you know what Peter J did? What did Peter J do? 
He entered the 100 Club this month. He gave 100 big ones to this podcast for you, not just for him, but for all of you as well that don't pay. He secured his special reward, his Fast and the Furious special episode. (laughs) And then he turned around and he upped his monthly pledge to £20. My word. He wants another one. He wants another bonus episode. Because we deserve it, we because do. the show deserves it, and because that's how a real G rolls. Um, so shout out Peter J going above and beyond. Um, shout out as well to Sue P upping her pledge from £3 to £10. She was cruising along thinking she could get by on just that minor league level. And then she realised... There's over 22 hours of bonus content in that VIEP tier. So she upped that pledge, doing the right thing. Um, and some some of our most loyal, wonderful, and, and, and interactive subscribers and, and patrons have got in touch. King Canuck, first of his name, Defender of the Face, they got in <laughs> touch to say, uh, here's something for you lads. You're partially responsible for me gaining a commendation from a customer at work. You feel that, Will? This is what we've done. That's good. I work retail. We have a program where customers leave reviews to get a coupon and we get commendations. And while I was helping someone recently, I commented on their Marvel shirt <laughs> and they talked back and I recommended this podcast, which they included in their commendation Excellent. of my service. Excellent. Oh, spreading the word. I uh, really enjoyed the Nick Fury and Wolverine episodes, but meaning to write and hear more of the bonus content, but time gets away from you. In the Wolverine episode, you spoke about how he works good in an ensemble and seems really tied down by his past, as opposed to Gambit. And I found that out of the more interesting parts, one of the more interesting parts of Wolverine's character in the 90s series, where he'd spin away for three or four episodes because his own ghosts dragged him off stage. Um... It's a very good point. A question for Will. Mm. What is it like for you when a Marvel production drops an Easter egg that everyone around you at the cinema seems to notice (laughs) right away, but you don't due to your tremendous... His words. (laughs) But you don't due to your tremendous ignorance. Let's all make fun of Willie from the bin. The guy who lives in a bin, we found him on the street, we put him in a studio and said, Hey, have you seen, have you read Marvel Comics? No, good. Bin Boy Willie, we shaved the monkey and we put him on a headset. <laughs> I'm digging my own grave here. Yeah, so what was the question? Example. So, oh, okay, we'll do it again. Sorry, 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 there was a bit more. So examples <laughs> including Wakanda being name-dropped so, in Asia what's Vulture. it like? Yeah, what's it like? Yeah. What's it like being, okay... Uh, there were two examples of this. Uh, one was uh, One Division, uh, where everything was an, was an Easter egg in that show. I won't mention anything specific, but there were so many little Easter eggs. Oh, so many. And people were getting yeah. excited, and I was there going, what, this is just Twin Peaks for idiots? <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, and and no, no, I, I did like One Division, but I was not getting the Easter eggs. And the other example was... Uh, a bit in uh, Marvel uh, Avengers Endgame. Is there a part I'm allowed to mention specifically? I don't think so, no. No. <laughs> there was one part in the final battle. But what's it like? What's it like for what, you? What, it, I, I feel puzzled at first. 
Like, if, if, if there's an Easter egg that's subtle enough, if it's in the background, I won't notice it. Uh, and if anybody else notices it, I, go, I just go, oh, must have been an Easter egg. Oh, well, I'll go. <laughs> I'll Google it when I get out. That's- and of course, you can't do that anymore. What was it? Why can't I Google it when I get out? You can't find things out about Marvel, not during this podcast now. Otherwise, you just you you would have no more ignorance. You would Google and read a Wikipedia entry about a comic. Yeah, but and then you'd know what happens. Yeah, but I, I wouldn't read the comic. I, I no, I, you can't read Wiki. If you've been reading Wikipedia entries about Marvel stories, because you can't do that. No, That's no, I, I, I have I haven't done that. I've done like I've read them about characters, but not about stories. Because no, that's all got to stop. Wow. He's tightening the leash. He's putting me back in my it's, bin. It's in there in black and white. It's in there in black and okay, white. Okay, I can't do that then. Okay, well, I, to, to maintain 100% ignorance then, hmm. I, I don't do that. I don't Google when I go out. I, I think, hit my head he, against a wall in frustration uh, because it, I am the bloody gumbo child or whatever. I think... <laughs> gumbo child! I think it would be really good if you took up drinking again because we need to... Like maybe even gain some more ignorance, kill some of them brain cells yeah. off, and and really up the ignorance. Juicy got in touch. Uh, hello guys, I'm writing this as I'm listening to the Guardians. Oh, I'm listening to the Guardians of the Galaxy episode for the third time. Ooh. You guys just get better and better. Your voices keep me such great company. And after binging, I had to do the right thing. Yes, yes. I will do the next level up right thing when uh, things get more settled for me at work. We'll still be here. We'll still be here when things get stable at work. Mm-hmm. Those extra full-length episodes shall be mine. In the meantime, oh, now Juice is going to talk about the mini-episode. Oh, yes. That we dropped. Uh, we launched Obscure Marvel in the month of April. Um, that's out there each and every month, me and Will. Uh, explore one of the most ridiculous characters in the history of Marvel Comics, having so much fun with that. Uh, And Juicy writes in to say, the mini-episode about Angar the Screamer (laughs) gave me life. That is exactly how I imagined my auntie would be if she were a (laughs) supervillain. I I hope you'll do Leatherboy soon. I have seen him once in an online list and laughed so hard I cried. I need to know more. I'm afraid I'm going to say that will never happen. The, 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 the thing about Obscure Marvel is that I have a hard and fast rule. If a character is intended to be ridiculous and silly and funny because it's a joke, I don't think we're going to do it. Mm. I, think that I think what we want to do is focus on the ones that are meant to be serious and dramatic. Um, who is Leatherboy? You know, who is Leatherboy, and why uh, is he me? We don't have we 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 have we've got a packed episode. <laughs> we don't have time. Uh, head over to the Twitter, and we'll do something. Um, as full episodes goes, I hope you'll soon do Spider Man into the Spider Verse. Yes. Come on, Peter Porker, guys. Um, I look forward to the next episode. The Wolverine one made me want to rewatch a movie <laughs> I would not have given a second chance to. Love your work. Thank you, Juicy. Um, Spider-Verse is definitely happening this year. Yep. That's a cast iron guarantee. James Greenwood, uh, a recent subscriber, said, This podcast is the only thing I listen to in the car now. Upgrading on Patreon was amazing, as the content for the VIEPs is brilliant. I'm currently halfway through House of M. 
and Avengers Disassembled sounds bonkers. I was worried once I'd finished House of M that I may not have anything to listen to for a few days. And then we got a double whammy on Patreon. Early access to the new episode and then the Wolverine History bonus show. Thank you all for the hard work you put into these episodes. Uh, you're welcome, James. We love putting that out there. Over 22 hours of, of bonus content now on the Patreon. Two new episodes that will come out every single month. Everyone that subscribes on Patreon get access to the Obscure Marvel mini-episodes every month on Ridiculous Characters. Me and Will have a lot of fun with that. And uh, if you subscribe on the, t- on the £10 tier or beyond, you get access to... The full-length bonus episodes. Last month we dropped a walk through the twisted dark history of Wolverine. That was something else. That was eye-opening, wasn't it? Which one was that? The dark history of Wolverine. Yes, yes, the very dark history of Wolverine. Uh, we, we, we explore Wolverine's son, mm. um, some of his past, some of his worst crimes. That's all in there. We've got a House of M episode, which includes Avengers Disassembled. Um, we've got Clone War, uh, Clone Saga episode in there. We've got the Annihilation Wars. Um, so many uh, incredible full-length bonus episodes. And this month, we're going to take a look at the dark side of Spider-Man, the nightmare of Peter Parker's parents, and the madness of Spider-Man. So that can all be found if you head on over to the best place in town with more content added all the time. It's patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. Well, we have set the table thoroughly for this episode as we're going to take a look at two episodes of Spider-Man, the animated series. We've, we've taken care of business. We've told you about the exclusive 100 Club We've thanked the people that deserve to be thanked. And we've ignored the people that don't deserve to be thanked. Um, which is our want and our right and our privilege to do. Um, all that remains now then is to hand the reins of the show over to, to Gumbo Kid himself. <laughs> Big Willie P. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Take it away in the way that only you can. Okay, let's get... Uh, press play. Okay, getting out the bin, pressing play. <laughs> Episode 1, Night of the Lizard. Now, first of all, we see the awesome title sequence. The int- oh. Uh, oh, man, that intro at the... T- I mean, it was, it, was, it was good to watch now, but at the time in the 90s, it must have been so exciting. Also, oh, yeah. just like the X-Men cartoon, so many villains revealed for the series, including Venom. And and I I think I spotted the Punisher as well. I, I spotted so many popping up. Yeah, maybe. And a great theme, of course. The series theme song, as mentioned, was performed <laughs> by Joe Perry, lead guitarist of Aerosmith. Incredible. There is an Easter egg in the Alien Symbiote Saga episode mm. where Pete's wearing the, the, the symbiote and can make it change his appearance look like anyone he wants. And uh, he turns into Joe Perry from Aerosmith. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Because he wants to look like a rock star. Yeah, yeah. Um, I This may get me hate mail. Mm. I prefer it to the X-Men theme song. I, I'm going to listen to them so back to the exciting. facts. But at the same time, okay, yeah. I, I, I went through all of X-Men I was, the, the, other, the other week and I was listening to The theme tune's good. 
but this uh, this has a better production quality and feels oh, a bit more it's, exciting. It's fr- oh, I, I want to. I just want to sing it right now. It's all I want to do. Great! It's incredible. I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to it after the doing this. When, when I'm when I'm mixing this episode later, I'm gonna listen to it while I do it. Okay, so back to back to back to the episode. Uh, one day in New York City, a couple of subway workers are attacked by what appears to be a giant lizard. They escape to the surface and to their van, but one of them is dragged back down, causing the other one to drive off in a panic, alerting Spider-Man, who swings in to deal with what he thinks is a criminal. However, when Spider-Man tries to apprehend the driver, he, he accidentally steers the vehicle into the docks and the van sinks underwater. Spider-Man rescues the driver at the last minute and the man can't help but babble about the thing with red eyes. So, I, as, as what is the theme tune here? Okay, the music, the use of 3D with 2D, the sound effects, the dialogue, these all feel great. Like they were trying to go as close as they could to the atmosphere of a movie with what they could achieve with 1994 animation. It, wow. It, I, I have nothing but high praise for what I saw with this cartoon. Uh, like I, I was expecting, okay, the X-Men cartoon's good. The X-Men cartoon's good. Yeah. It did some good stuff. But compared to compared to this, X-Men cartoon feels clunky. It feels very yes. clunky in comparison. This feels like so much effort was poured in in comparison. I think the X-Men cartoon finds its feet and as it as it I think as we get to the second series, yeah. it starts to roll a lot faster. Oh yeah, it, it definitely rolls this faster, is, yeah. Episode one, boom, boom, and yep. it's and and if you watch more of them, you'll be able to attest. It's every episode is like this. It's ba 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 ba. Not that there aren't ones that are duffers, but this this feels like so much work went into this first script, this first episode. Yeah, I, I was and taken aback, and I was definitely considering watching the entire lot. This is uh, well, we're going to get through an awful lot because you know. Once we've done uh, Into the Spider-Verse, we might have to do the original Spider-Verse. There's a lot we can do <laughs> with the animated series that will get people very exciting. But what a, what, a, what a moment in this show. Will Preston watching something from the past. Oh, God. And enjoying it. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> and saying how good it seems. I, I'm just saying it came together well. It came together really well. Why weren't they all using cell phones? Why Why is none of them mentioning TikTok? It's rather big right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Spidey here fires off a lot of jokes in the first scene. Uh, we see a little bit of that in the movies. Does, does the character make this level of jokes? Is he similar to Deadpool? In that respect... Did you do that in purpose Maybe. to make me feel bad? Because that was like someone reached into my soul and kicked me yeah. <laughs> deep in my heart. Is Spider-Man like Deadpool? Is the question you just asked me. I like and Deadpool. Hey, he makes dick jokes. <laughs> <laughs> all love for all people and all that kind of stuff, man. Um, just going to glaze over that one and, 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 and just... Try and try and make it through with without driving to your house. Wait. Um, 
what I love about this animated series particularly is that Spidey is so world wary. Mm. He's so, oh God, this is happening again. <laughs> like the first thing he says is, oh, another quiet day in New York. Like he's just so sick of life. He's such a Gen X joker in this. It's really fun. But yeah, 100% funny. Stan in the early issues wrote him as this bullied underdog kid who suddenly gets the upper hand when he puts the mask on and would fire off all these insults and dumb cheesy jokes because, you know, Stan Lee is... Stanley's body is about seventy-eight percent cheesy jokes, <laughs> <laughs> more than more than water, um, and he gets into these really funny, cheesy, dumb arguments with J. Jonah Jameson. And in the late sixties and through the seventies, Spider's Spider's humor is like solidified as it's self-deprecating. Mm. Um, Spidey has the worst look and a crappy life, and he makes fun of it all the time. Mm. Um, that's a hallmark hallmark of his humor. Um, it's something surreal, like Deadpool and stuff. And he he also makes fun of his bad guys all the time. And what started to become a thing is that the bad guy would be this serious arch villain who's really smart and calculating and has a plan and there's like a passionate reason why they're doing awful things. Mm. And but instead of getting into like an ethics debate or going up against a traditional Captain America hero. Yeah. Here comes this weird, gawky, punk kid Spider-Man who just roasts them for having a dumb costume and a silly name <laughs> and having henchmen. Yeah. Who has henchmen? What do you have to what do you have to file an employment form to get henchmen? And and just constant mocking. And and that would just drive all his regular bad guys insane. Um it's glorious. And and Different writers over the years come up with different kinds of funny. Mm. Um, you know, Kevin Smith writes him in a Kevin Smith way. Brian Michael Bendis writes him in a, in a different kind of way. But they all, everyone knows Spidey is funny. And, he, and I, on, on the hub on that. Sorry, um, when you say Kevin Smith wrote him, you're like, what? Is there like five pages of him discussing Star Wars at length? <laughs> uh, it, 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 it's very dialogue heavy. Yeah. Um, Sadly, around the time this cartoon is airing uh, in the 90s, all that humour has gone. What? Spidey has become a grim and dark, edgy character. All these very depressing things keep happening to him. It's very, really, really out of character. We will deal with all of that. Spidey loses his smile. Uh, and we'll deal with all of that in in the in this month's bonus full length episode. Ooh. Okay, so back to the story. At the bugle, editor Joseph Robertson gives Peter Parker an assignment to take a photo of the lizard. Before Peter can ask any questions, J. Jonah Jameson bursts in with Eddie Brock and chides Peter for being late. Before showing Parker a photo of the subway worker who went missing. Eddie has a list of scientists who works with reptiles that he intends to investigate, with one of their names catching Peter's attention, Dr. Kurt Connors, an expert in recombinant DNA and mutagenics. Despite P- Peter thinking that this lizard is just a hoax, Jameson offers a $1,000 bonus to whomever gets a photo of the lizard first. Now, 
J. Jonah Jameson here. Uh, he will always be JK, uh, played by J.K. Simmons in my head, and I'm really glad <laughs> the MCU got J.K. Simmons. Uh, oh, I can't mention that, can I? <laughs> I think that's okay. I, I think by now they know he's okay. going to be in it, but I won't mention what happens anyway. J., uh, but here, uh, J. Jonah Amerson, Jameson is played by Ed Asner. Ed Asner. Ed Asner, who uh, was the old man in Up and uh, Cosgrove and Freakazoid. I thought he did a great job as Cosgrove and Freakazoid. I'm a big fan of him. Do you know who really petitioned to do the voice of J. Jonah Jameson? Okay, let's, let's blow my nearly mind. nearly happened. Who? Stan Lee. He what? petitioned very hard to get the... Because if you've listened to some of our previous Spider-Man yeah. episodes, you will know that J. Jonah Jameson is based on the grumpier side of Stanley. Yeah. And yeah, this this was um uh, uh John Semper Jr. has 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 spoken about how it was kind of difficult um having to you know basically turn down his childhood idol and his you know one of his big mentors in the business no, it needs to be Ed Asner really. Um what a different what a different series that would have been. That would have been I, I try to imagine it now, but all I can think, all that's coming in my head is when Stan Lee appeared on The Simpsons. That's all that's happening when I try and imagine this. I, I think later days Stan is crystallised in everyone's minds. Yeah. He's he's the smiley old grandpa. I can't see him doing it, but who knows? I've never seen Stan do much acting. No, no, really. he just he's Captain Cameo. That's the uh, nickname yeah. he's been given. Let's talk about Peter Parker working at the Daily Bugle, though. That's in every movie except the MCU ones. Uh, what can you tell us about Spidey and the Bugle? It's well, it's right there, mm-hmm. uh, issue one of Amazing Spider-Man in in, in nineteen sixty-three, mm. and it, and it's it's hugely important because it kind of gives him a family but it's important because of how it constrains the character and because of how of what it lets him do um Pete, peter parker's poor working class who spends so much of his time chasing enough money to pay the bills he has responsibilities he's the in the 1960s terms he's the man of the house he's the breadwinner of the house and he's 15 which is a, a reality of the 60s to a lot of people mm. um and, and that happens in this episode. And every time he's in the bugle, it's a reminder of how much money he doesn't have, how his back is against the wall, how he's chasing that bonus, that payday. Can I get? Um, can can you? Um, can I get a, a you know a loan on the next yeah. paycheck? Can I? Can I get this? Can I get that? And they use it to quite well effect in the Sam Raimi movies as well. Um, and 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 like it's not an original idea, you know. Like Superman in the Daily Planet, it's a great way to before the internet, to quickly get news of villains mm. and disasters to Pete. If you don't have a direct phone line to the commissioner, those kind of plot things you know, make the story move quite faster and, and, and without less uh, extraneous you know, kind of things happening. I bumped into someone who said he saw the Riddler. <laughs> um, but it's also a key feature of this amazing and revolutionary aspect of Spider-Man. Mm. The public hate him. <laughs> and the media is a big, big part of that. Yeah. And Pete's life as Spider-Man has to have all these balances. This is something that Stan and, and, and Steve Ditko identified really early on. And, and everyone on down kind of followed, mainly followed in step. 
it's cool to have powers and be famous. Mm. But in Marvel Comics, that has to come with a downside. And the downside is tabloids forever taking your picture, calling you a menace, stirring <laughs> the public up against you. The only way Peter Parker can make fast cash to pay the bills he has to as the breadwinner is to go to work every day for a company that trashes Spider-Man and spreads lies about him. And he's locked into doing this because there's no other way a kid who hasn't finished school yet can make cash. Because of his powers, Pete can set up a camera and take these up-close amazing pictures of superhero battles that nobody else can ever get, Mm. right? He has constant exclusives. (laughs) But every time he sells them to make money, Jonah and the Daily Bugle uses the pictures for an other tabloid story about what a dangerous menace and a bad person he is. It feels like that's it feels like a weird allegory for late stage capitalism. Ah, the workers constantly progressing towards their doom. <laughs> Maybe. I doubt I it. I doubt it, yeah. I think Stanley loved capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It it it's that it's this it's this uniquely poetically miserable aspect of his life he is the author <laughs> of so many of his own problems because it is about um because spider-man is about your own actions and what they do and there's, there's this poetic cycle to it peter's life must always be this constant seesaw of misery to remind us all that powers and costumes and all of that don't solve real problems <laughs> which are not having money and everyone hating you. Um, and on, on, on top of that, um, Stan and, 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 and Steve pretty quickly established in the 60s that the, the Spider-Man was a comic book that thrived because of the rich supporting cast. Unlike anything else that was popular at the time, um, kids from his school, students at university, and the people in Pete's workplace. The Bugle is a really rich hive of those characters, of course, Jay Jonah. But then you've also got, you know, crime journalist Ben Urich, who investigates mm. the underworld, and you get kind of that. You get love interests like Betty Brandt and her insane brother, and and journalists who have their own problems and turn out to be super villains, and all of all of all of that. The Bugle is really, really important. It sounds like um, a hub, a social hub. Completely. Yeah. Uh, Peter doesn't like for a long period of time. Peter doesn't have friends, and then he doesn't have time for friends, and all of that. It's a, it's a yeah, it's a frenetic little bustling place. Mm. So back to the episode. Later at home, Aunt May is worrying about an overdue bill, while Peter can't stop thinking about that bonus for snapping the lizard. After seeing how much financial trouble Aunt May is in, Peter aims to get that bonus to pay off the bills. Later, Spider-Man descends the sewers to find where the attack happened and snaps a photo of a giant lizard footprint, not wasting any time. Peter Parker takes the photo to Empire State University after school hours to show Dr. Connors, bumping into another student, Deborah Whitman, along the way. Inside the building, Brock is skulking about, but hides when he hears the other two enter. After hearing a noise from one of the rooms, they go to investigate hearing Dr. Connors in distress. Deborah approaches what appears to be Dr. Connors, only to find a giant man-lizard in his place. The lizard jumps out the window, and Peter is about to give chase, but decides against it so he can look after Deborah. 
Uh, first thing I'm going to uh, mention is that Peter Parker looks a bit hench. Yes, yeah. he looks more hench than Spider Man. Yeah, because Sp- <laughs> Spider Man's not. You remember we have this we had this talk on the previous episode. Spider Man's not supposed to really be hench because he's essentially a teenager. And an acrobat, Acro- like yeah. he has a. It's almost like swimmers should have a swimmers. You know, yeah. they should have a, a slender frame. They they draw Peter Parker with very broad, squared shoulders yeah. for some reason. I found that a bit odd. And then when he's in the Spider Man costume, he doesn't have them, which leads me to believe Peter Parker wears shoulder pads. That's the only explanation I have. Oh. <laughs> I, I thought that was like a logical thing, like oh, so people don't think he's Spider Man? It's like no, too 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 muscly to be Spider Man. No, yeah. I don't think so. I just think they they didn't want him to be a weedy little kid. That's a shame. The design the design of the character changed right like halfway through production. Oh. John Sedber Jr. says to begin with, he was drawn to look exactly like the classic nineteen seventies John Romita version of the character, the one that endured for years on all sorts of other um uh products and things mm. outside of the comic books it's the classic pete at college look where he's kind of cool and handsome and you know and then and he's got almost a crew got then one day semper says stanley got out of bed on the wrong side and went nope start again he's gonna look like he's from the 90s and he described in like 30 minutes to an artist how he had to look and that's how we got the this version of peter parker with this I don't know, fuller head of hair and almost a preppy kind of, you know... He looks a bit jockey. Jumper shirt thing. Yeah, preppy jockey. Yeah, he, look, he looks like a... Yeah, which is weird. Very, very weird. Uh, I loved what they did with the spider sense tingling. Where, yes. where suddenly it's suddenly like, boom, you really notice it. Much but more than the comics. Yeah. Uh, the, the, sorry, than the, than the movies. The movies don't have a lot of that... like special effecty kind of thing. Sometimes it's bullet time. Yeah. Sometimes he's just... It just you hear a noise and he turns his head round. I love it. It was good. Uh, also, <laughs> the music uh, during during these bits sounded like a Star Wars movie, but in a good way. The, I thought oh. the music had that same quality of a Star Wars film. Kind of a John Williams it background did. music, you mean? It did. It had that raucous feel that's not too over the top, but not too subtle or minimalist either. And I really enjoyed there it. Are- there are a lot of horns and things, aren't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was really good. Uh, Deborah Whitman, though, uh, she features quite a lot in this episode. Is she a character from the comic books? Yeah, odd one to pick, man. Odd one to pick. We'll 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 talk about it. We'll talk more about why. But yes, she is. Um, in fact, she's one of the first people to figure out that Peter Parker is Spider. Oh, damn. Um, Deborah worked at Empire State University, mm. which Pete went to for late sixties through the seventies, and they briefly dated. Ooh. But things never really progressed because Pete was in that classic thing of constantly having to break dates and not show up because of of Spider Man stuff, like leave straight away mm. and go fight Sandman or whatever. And the more that that kind of thing kept happening, that he was running out and then there was a Spider-Man fight, the more this very smart woman started to suspect that Pete was Spidey. But then also, there's this very clumsy 1970s thing 
where someone who doesn't understand mental health problems is writing about mental <laughs> oh, health God. problems. So, so Deborah has mental health problems, and it and it, tur- it turns out that Peter doesn't know this, but she was previously in an abusive marriage. Oh. Her husband beat her, left her quite traumatized, and she has regular therapy, which you don't have to have had an abusive relationship to to have regular therapies for regular people. Mm. But anyway, she has regular therapy, and. When she tells her therapist that she thinks her boyfriend is Spider-Man, the therapist is like, well, another crazy person with another crazy delusion. I'm going to tick this box. Deborah is insane. That's not nice. Pete's constantly running off to become Spider-Man. Deborah keeps getting more and more evidence that he is Spider-Man, so her suspicions grow. She starts to dream about it, worry about it. And all it does is convince her doctor that she's going crazy. So then her doctor, a medical professional, (laughs) contacts Peter Parker and says, here's my plan to cure her. You surprise her wearing the Spider-Man costume. Confront her with how crazy it is that you could ever be Spider-Man. And Pete... is like, this is a bad idea, and refuses because he's worried that what will happen is it'll just confirm all her suspicions. Where was that? And she'll know that he's definitely Spider-Man. Where was that doctor's last practice? Shutter Island? (laughs) 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 But the therapist doesn't know why Pete is so adverse to this, and he just thinks Peter Parker is an awful person that doesn't want to help his girlfriend. Um... And this goes on for a little bit, and then Pete then learns just how hard things are for Deborah about her past and things, mm. and he feels and, and and how she's feeling at the moment, and he starts to feel really, really guilty, as he should. <laughs> um, so he decides to actually come clean and 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 reveal to her that he is Spider Man because he thinks that's really the only thing that will give her peace of mind. Like I've caused this further issue where she thinks she's mad and her therapist thinks she's mad Mm. the only way out of this is i have to sacrifice my identity now and whatever happens happens but i've got to do it otherwise this poor woman will forever think she's crazy but as he you know shows up in the costume and when he takes the mask off and reveals spider-man as peter parker Mm. it has the opposite effect on deborah and she thinks pete in the costume it's ridiculous. He couldn't possibly be Spider-Man. He's this is an extreme tactic, and it kind of shocks her yeah. out of how she's feeling. And she goes, "Oh, well, you can't possibly be Spider-Man." And then she goes, "I'm clearly deeply messed up." And then she gets on a bus and she leaves New York, never to be seen again. <laughs> sort of. That sounds like a, a BoJack Horseman storyline. <laughs> it's. Not fun for anyone. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I had a feeling she was just invented for the cartoons, but hey. There there there, there was well, a path that was of, worth walking down. Again, it's one of those things where none of that is in I don't think any of that comes up. Yeah. They just take a name to because they don't want to use a certain someone that we'll get to. Yes, indeed. Back to the cartoon. Sorry, back to the show. Uh Peter remembers an experiment he was helping Dr. Connors with where a mouse grew back a missing limb through the help of the Neogenic Recombinator. Well done, mate. Well done. You nailed it. I, I, it's not an easy one. It's, it's, 
out of all the non-easy ones, it's one of the easier ones. I'll put it that way. Uh, if you want to, you know, have some fun with this uh, animated series at home, take a shot every time you you hear mutagenics or neogenic recombinator. Uh, that's what I would do because it does pop up in other episodes apparently, and I'm like, why? <laughs> it's a long word. Stop it. Uh, <laughs> Connor's missing an arm himself. Muses about how this technology could help mankind. As he swings through the streets of New York, Spider-Man thinks back to this memory and wonders why anyone would want to kidnap Dr. Connors. Meanwhile, the lizard emerges from the sewer and stalks outside the Connors residence. Inside, Dr. Connors' wife and child, Margaret and Billy, are cooking in the kitchen before being startled by a figure in their home, Spider-Man. His plea... His pleas for the location of Dr. Connors are cut short when they hear Brock screaming outside, who is about to be attacked by the lizard. Uh, surprisingly atmospheric for a cartoon. I know it's just re- you got rain happening. It's like rain at night. Rain at- happening. Rain happening at night. That's the atmosphere. But it, but, but it does it does go do it really well. Uh, part of me now. This is the- it. Really, it really it really really is. It's a it's a really. It's a really... I mean, it, it's not dark. I mean, it, it, it's not like it's scary or spooky or anything, but it's really well done in terms of, like, if you don't know anything, why is this lizard, mm. this giant lizard thing, stalking this family? And it's great. It's really well oh, done. Oh, no, it's, it's fantastic. I'll get on to, to, uh, to another thing in a bit. Uh, I've got a note that I'm, I'm really looking forward to talking with you about. <laughs> Another thing uh, in this bit, uh, part, when they're doing the experiment with the neogenic, neogenic recombinator... Take a shot. Uh, I wanted to see the mouse grow more and more limbs. Like it goes, like the experiment goes wrong, and suddenly he's like got ten arms or something. How horrifying! I know, but you know that whole like you kind of want to stare at a car crash quickly. You want you want you want to see something terrible happen. Just do you know? You do you know that that happens to Spider Man? I I heard about him growing some arms later on. Some some arms. I yeah. People I, some some people mentioned it, but I I I just thought like because remember that remember that mouse that had a human ear on its back. The ear. The ear. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it could hear better. Dolly the sheep and the ear mouse. The, the ear mouse yeah. who can now listen to Motorhead properly. Uh, yeah, I I just wanted to see something like that where the mouse has loads of arms. And what a sick man you are! No, you disturb me. No, no, no. In a nice way, so, so you, it can hatch, pick up more cheese. So you're telling me you don't have a diseased mind? That's why you started the show, and then here we are, full of disease. Yeah, he goes, Remember that thing I mentioned about you having a terrible brain? Look how the tables Not turned, t- Willie. <laughs> Reaping what you sow. You fell right for my trap. Anyway. Uh, my trap of inviting you to speak. <laughs> my, my trap goes, yeah, just let Willie continue talking. He'll eventually entrap himself in his own petard. Anyway, back to... Here's a lot of rope. Do one of the He's made a daisy chain. Uh, back, to the, back to the show. Before the lizard can attack Brock, Spider-Man distracts the monster by taking a flash photo of it, but accidentally drops the camera while swinging away. The two fight and the lizard smashing... Smashes uh, Spider-Man into a treehouse. Just before the lizard can pounce on Spidey, Billy yells, Daddy! and tells him to stop. The lizard turns to him, calls him by name, and escapes. Margaret explains to Spider-Man that the lizard is actually Dr. Connors, 
who used the neogenic <laughs> recombinator on himself to grow back his missing arm, only for there to be terrible side effects. Who could have foreseen terrible side effects oh, no, I now from have... the neogenic recombinator regrowing limbs? I now have ten arms, like what happened to that mouse? <laughs> <laughs> While they're talking, Brock is noting all of this down for a top story for the bugle. But before he can get away, Spider-Man webs him to a lamppost, telling him to be respectful of the family secret. Suddenly, Billy comes running into the street, yelling for help. The lizard has taken his mother down into the sewer. Now, this... Uh, oh, I, I love this episode... But it did feel, and, it's, and I mean it's in the, in, the, in the most complimentary way possible, it did feel a lot like the Batman animated series episode on Leather Wings, which dealt with Man Bat in the same way. It's a fantastic episode and a great introduction to, to Batman in any, any case. It is, yeah. Uh, but, you know, that's because Man Bat is kind of a lizard ripoff. Is he? You know. Yeah, he, yeah. The lizard, the lizard came. Is this, the lizard comes about first, and Man Bat is just very similar to that. Yeah, that make, that uh, would make sense because it's the, the, a doctor yeah. who experiments and tests on himself, and it's a, an animal serum, and he turns himself into a monster. And the superhero in question is, can help him, and he's a nice guy, really. And yeah, yeah. I mean, keeps having trouble. All the beats <clears throat> were there. That's what I noticed. All the beats were there that I noticed in the the Man Bat episode. It's very possible that they that the that the episode took a lot from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I so it is a great episode. I need to replay Batman Arkham Knight because Batman Bat's in that. I always uh, thought like they created Man Bat because they were really running low on villain ideas, and something happened. They just looked at the way. Hey, wait a minute! What if we reverse the two words in Batman to make Man Bat? That would be what if? Whoa! Thinking outside the box, Jeffrey. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't think. I think it was. I think it was just more that. Uh, so often, Batman is described as like a giant bat. That eventually they went. What? Would, he's not though, is he? He's. What would a giant bat look like? Yeah. Um, although we're just reading a lot of Spider-Man comics. Yeah. It, 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 Batman Bat does feel like a Marvel villain rather than a DC <coughs> villain to me. Well, specifically a Batman villain. Because all Batman villains mostly are a guy with some henchmen who has some kind of, sort yeah. of weapon or a power or a dis- disability. Well, he's. Uh, we'll talk about this a little bit later on. I mean, he's a product of the 70s yeah. when horror, horror themes were um, prevalent because of movies and. and the Comic Code Authority was letting you do more things. So Man Bat comes out of that era when they can suddenly do monsters. Um, listen, Batman fights the abominable snowman yeti at one point. So, yeah. Yeah, I know. Okay, so let's go on to the lizard. How is the lizard first introduced in the comic books? Uh, it's sort of like this, but not really. <laughs> hey, there's that catchphrase. The, the lizard is one of Spidey's like original villains. Mm. Um, he first appears in in issue six in the nineteen sixties, and and there are these rumors of a giant lizard, right? A giant lizard man causing chaos in in Florida, not New York. Ooh, hello, that makes sense. <clears throat> and Jameson does this front page story challenging Spider Man to stop being a coward and going after. 
petty thugs. <laughs> Leave New York, go to Florida, and face a real challenge. Um, Pete hears more and more about this lizard person and thinks that he probably actually should go and check it out. But he's 15, and he has no money. <laughs> so how the hell is Spider-Man going to get to Florida? He can't web-swing there. Um, so he comes up with this plan. He puts the Spider-Man costume on, and he jumps in through the window to Jonah's office and says, I'm Spider-Man. I'm going to accept your challenge and go to Florida and fight this lizard man. And you know what? You'll never get the exclusive on it because you're all the way here in New York. Why, you'd have to pay that broke 15-year-old photographer Peter Parker to go all the way to Florida in order to capture the pictures. And you'll never do that. And then jumps out the window. And so, of course, <laughs> the the bugle pays for Pete to fly to Florida, oh. um, which lets Spider-Man go to Florida. Mm. The only down Pete thinks he's got this brilliant plan that's worked out so well he's manipulated this boss perfect i can go do spider-man stuff no one knows who i am down there it's going to be great the only problem the only downside is that jj and jameson is such a skin flint he doesn't want pete running up loads of expenses <laughs> on the bugle account so jonah personally goes with pete no! and shadows his every move to make sure he doesn't spend too much <laughs> that is incredible Okay, so we've also, uh, Eddie Brock is popped up. Uh, we know him from the Venom movie in Spider-Man 3. Uh, is he one of Pete's rivals like this in the comic books? Because I noticed he's a lot more hench, and you said he was supposed to be more hench, wasn't he? Yeah, he's more hench than uh, Topher Grace, isn't he? Topher Grace. <laughs> so he's not a rival, no, in the comics. Eddie Brock never worked at the Daily Bugle was never a part of the supporting cast like this, never a rival, although we did see this almost exact thing copied by the Sam Raimi Spider-Man 3 movie when we took a look at that. Mm. Um, when Venom is first introduced, that's when they reveal who he is. He's never seen before. And they revealed that he had been a journalist at a rival tabloid newspaper, the Daily Globe. Mm. But we had never, we the reader had never seen that before. That was a backstory we never saw. Um, Eddie Brock only knew Peter Parker because when he bonded with the alien symbiote, the alien told him that's who Spider Man really was. Um, interestingly, John Semper Jr. said in an interview that his original idea was to start the animated series. With Venom. Oh. Right up front. Ooh. Because Venom is like the hottest character in, in, in Spider Man at the time. He now says it would have been a mistake. Yeah. It was the wrong idea. But at the time, Venom was so hot, it would have like opened with a bang, got a lot of attention. The only reason it didn't happen is because the writer of that episode, that script idea, Len Wein, who we talked about a lot in the Wolverine episode, took such a long time to deliver the script. And as time dragged on, Fox and various other people pretty much convinced John that, that they shouldn't start the series with Venom. So when they decided to move, go in the, in the lizard direction for this episode, mm. and when that was being put together, Semper, kind of after seeing the first draft, put his notes in and said, um, 
add Eddie Brock to the supporting cast and make him a rival of Peter Parker so we can actually build up the character Mm. for when... And his animosity to Spider-Man. So we eventually then see a character we already know become Venom. Which was not happening in the comics. I I will say, another Batman animated series comparison, they did a similar thing uh, with Harvey Dent, where they had him as just a regular character who was a friend of Bruce Wayne who'd pop up. But they made him pop up enough so that when they finally did the Two-Face episode... It actually had the impact it needed, and that I'll all it means something. Yeah, it meant a lot. I remember watching that as a kid, and I got the I got the Batman animated series on DVD. I remember watching it again, and it's still oh, this is good. This is so well done mm. for a kids' cartoon. So yeah, yeah. Eddie, I, I imagine the same. It's like uh, same with Eddie Brock here. You need to have that character there, build the character up, and then then you make that big change. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anyway, back to the show. Spider-Man explores the sewers, trying to find the lizard's lair. Following Margaret's cries for help, the sounds come from behind a grate that Spider-Man removes before slipping down a shaft and almost to his death. After a bumpy landing, another cry for help sounds. The missing subway worker, now trapped behind another grate. Spider-Man quickly rescues him, and the worker mentions that the lizard is building some kind of machine. But before he can finish, Margaret cries for help. Margaret cries for help even louder. Doctor Connors is convincing Margaret to help him uh, ov- operate uh, another neogenic recombinator he's built in the sewer because his inhuman hands can't operate it. Doctor Connors' plan is to use the machine to turn everyone in New York City into the same lizard beings as him as he sees his ability to heal from wounds as an advanced rate as a gift to humanity. <laughs> but before he can finish his exposition, Spider-Man swings in and the two start fighting. Uh, love Spider-Man saying how you'll never see the Avengers or the Fantastic Four in a sewer. Like, Brilliant. We didn't need a crossover episode with them yet. He's already acknowledging right from the get-go, oh yes, this is the same universe as the Avengers and the Fantastic Four. You will see crossovers happening. I mean, maybe, yeah. But I think it's also just an example of it's exactly the kind of dialogue that that you would that, that Spidey would say mm. in those comics and those early 60s stuff. Spider-Man is not a Premier League hero like the others the famous world the the fantastic four their identities are publicly known they're on the cover of magazines they're beloved the avengers are acknowledged as heroes spidey's crawling around in the sewers or whatever he's doing um it is very much very much the kind of dialogue that you would expect to hear um and it it's it's delivered in such a wonderfully sour world weary way in this yeah you never see the you know, it's uh, I get no respect. Um, <laughs> it's, it's it's very it's very classic. Yeah. Oh man, I, I just love any reference to Rodney Dangerfield. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, Spider Man chasing monsters in the dark seems a bit odd. Uh, does he have a history of hunting monsters as a set of supervillains? During the nineteen seventies, yeah, yeah, yeah. Marvel, Marvel, um, as we talked about in our Blade episode, Marvel was doing a lot of horror-themed characters from the popularity of the Hammer Horror movies of, of the of the era, but also the fact that thanks to the Hammer Horror movies mm. and the popularity of the classic 
horror characters, by which I mean the supernatural ones, the mummy, Frankenstein, Dracula and all that, the Comic Code Authority had had loosened the, the regulations on what comic books could and could not present to in, in, in their stories. So the, the, the regulations on the supernatural had been loosened. Um, that's the era where we get Ghost Rider, Blade, the the Marvel version of Dracula becomes a big deal. Mm. Um, and Spidey was no different. In the 70s, um, Spider-Man, it has to stop John uh, Jonah Jameson's son, uh, John Jameson, who's become a dangerous werewolf. He first encounters the scientist Morbius, who's turn himself into a sort of a pseudo vampire um morbius then bites dr connor's and turns dr connor's back into the lizard so spidey is caught in a fight between two of these you know terrifying monster creatures that look supernatural although they're not um and in, but it's also this thing of in in, in sort of almost the, the classic mm. some of the classic horror tropes it's more more mad scientists, kind of really. Yeah. They're monsters, but they're innocent men transformed into monsters. And Spidey himself even becomes a monster um, whilst trying to find a cure for his powers. Pete accidentally mutates himself further. He grows four extra arms and becomes more like a human spider. Um, and it's only thanks to Doctor Connors in that storyline that, that that Spidey is cured. Man spider. <laughs> yeah, that's the cartoon yeah and we'll hopefully get to that right because he gets he just yeah. he gets extra arms in in, in the comics sorry it's just a reference if you ever watch salad fingers or the work of david firth he has a superhero character called burnt face man and uh, one of the villains is just man spider and it's just a spider's body but with a man's head and it's got like a comb over and a little moustache <laughs> there we go a bit like a bit like the worst the, the, the joke, worst version of the fly. Yes, yeah, the worst version. I remember that. I remember that. Uh, right. So uh, we oh, wait a minute. I think we're on to the last bit of the episode now. While Spider-Man fights the lizard, Margaret picks up the Neogenic Recombinator, despite Spider-Man pleading with her to stop, but is knocked out when the lizard accidentally hits her with his tail, sending her and the device flying across the room. Spider-Man goes for the device and powers it up just as the lizard dives onto him, sending them both into the deep sewer water. Underwater, Spider-Man powers up the device, turning Dr. Connors back into his human self. As he helps the unconscious doctor back to the surface and reunites him with his wife, he remembers to take one quick photo for the bugle bonus. The next day, Brock tries to convince J. Jonah Jameson that Connors is the lizard, but when they knock on the doctor's front door... A very human Dr. Connors answered, surprising Brock and annoying Jameson. Peter uses the bonus to pay for Aunt May's bills, but when Peter reveals how he got the money, she asks him how she got pictures of Spider-Man, leaving her to deduce, much to Peter's relief, that he followed Spider-Man into the sewer. Aunt May gives Peter a telling off, while Peter says that both he and Spider-Man are stuck together. I love that the end at the end of it the real prize wasn't saving the city it was getting the money so Aunt May could pay for her bills I like that human element it's so spidey mm. it's so it's so spider-man to, to to have these the objective and the obstacle largely uh, is this kind of working class thing of I don't have enough money yeah. my aunt yeah. doesn't have enough money um 
it, it really is a driving force and and it's more of a it's almost more of a palpable um obstacle or threat than the big monster or the villain of the of the month because it's a a struggle we can all understand well most of us can really understand um and it's one that doesn't go away by putting on a mask and hitting things or coming up with you know a, a new formula to turn someone into a human you can't like pour that on the bills or get the bank to leave you alone um it's it's wonderful a a, a really nice little yeah yeah i like that also does the lizard get a happy ending like this in the comics like does 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 he get turned back into dr connor's in in his first appearance yeah yeah um so spidey uh goes down to florida and discovers that the lizard man in florida is actually dr kirk connor's who tried to regrow his amputated arm mm. but accidentally turned himself into the monster much like this um, but Spidey uses Dr. Connor's notes and equipment to create an antidote that can turn him back into a, into a human. And Spidey returns Connor's and his to his family and makes like a, a pledge. A pledge. That, yeah, a pledge that he's not going to tell anyone what happened. Um, that, that Connor's is the lizard. Because it, it would put... Yeah. Connor's in jeopardy and the family in, 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 in jeopardy. Um, Pete sees the lizard as basically what could have happened to him yeah. when he got mutated. You know, there, by the grace of God, the mutation kind of left me looking human, but it might not have done. And who would have saved me? Who would have helped me? Mm. So, uh, so basically, the, the, the <laughs> Jonah Jameson is furious that the entire trip has been a huge waste of time. Um, there's no lizard man, no pictures, no story, and he tells this is this is this is it, man. After everything that's happened in this episode, uh, Pete convinces Jonah to 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 send him there, and they do all of that, and he becomes Spider Man. He saves a guy. He's not, you know, all of that. Jonah turns to Pete and says, "The expenses for this trip will come out of your future paychecks until it's all paid back." Uh, and that's the misery of Pete and then in retaliation when they're back in New York Spider-Man sends this mocking letter to J. Jonah Jameson pushing all his buttons Uh, basically you went all the way to Florida to chase monster stories what kind of a journalist are you Um, and Jonah gets riled up and so it's this yin and yang of nothing really ever works out for Pete Spider-Man is able to get some kind of Petty, you know, retribution. <laughs> yeah, petty retribution indeed. How 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 do you feel about that first episode then? I I really enjoyed it. This is this is the thing I've seen so many first episodes of cartoons in my time, and I know when you're handling something not not necessarily something based in a comic, but anything to do with superheroes or or someone with powers or a hero, you've got to really hit everything running. You got to hit it so hard in that first pilot. Sure. You, you can't go. Ah, it'll go into it. I mean, you can to a degree, but this really fires on all cylinders. Perfect, perfect start to a to a cartoon series. And yeah, how do you feel about not starting with the origin story? This is the thing. This is the thing. I I can I can I, I can only say this as someone who has seen like the Amazing Spider-Man, Sam Raimi Spider-Man, and Spider-Man Homecoming, and I've seen all these different variations of Spider-Man and played the video games and stuff. 
I think it's very refreshing when they don't do the origin story. If they get straight into it, uh, it's just great. Because we already know that. I want to see a Batman film, like a Batman, the start of a new Batman series, where we don't see Bruce's parents shot in the alley. I don't want to see that. Yeah. I want to get straight into it. I mean, even with... Okay, so I'm going on a bit here. Even with uh, the Batman versus Spy, uh, not Batman versus Spider-Man, Batman versus Superman film, they put it in there anyway, and they super slowed it up as they do. And I was like, there is no reason for this because he's playing an older Batman. This does not need to be here. Technically, you don't get it in the Tim Burton Batman. You do get it in the Tim Burton Batman, not the beginning, but later. You do get par- Bruce's parents being shot in an alley in Batman in Tim Burton Batman. Dare. It's not the origin story. There is a flash of yes. it in, a, in a dream. Well, um, it, there's elements of the origin story. Not, the police still I'm don't know sh- if he's if he's on their side, and he's still a new criminal, and no other supervillains have turned up yet. So I would still, although it's not, no, yeah, it's not really an origin story, but there are no. elements of it there. No, 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 uh, no, 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 no. He's already put money. It's not an origin story. Okay, origin story is taking you to the bit where they put on the costume and then okay. they start the business. Okay, anyway. okay, okay. But yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, I, I also don't think that an audience needs it for uh, Spider-Man. No. It's fun. It's exciting. There you go. Most most Saturday morning cartoon things kind of like give you the origin in the title sequence. Yeah. And we get that in. The song says Spider-Blood, Spider-Blood, Radioactive Spider-Blood. And you see a spider bite Peter Parker's hand, and then all of a sudden he's climbing the walls, yep. and then he's in a costume. Done. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely done. Um, they did a similar thing with the Incredible Hulk MCU movie, where we got the Hulk's yes. origin in the sort of the, the title sequence um, with all the credit opening credits and things. No, perfect. It's all you need, and move on. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Great episode. Anyway, we're on to next episode. Episode. We we let let's before we do that. We this is just a little explanation. We didn't do the immediate next episode. Yes, because the the net we started to get two parters. Yeah, we really wanted to do the first episode. That's important. Mm. Uh, but then we started to hit some two parters, <laughs> and we didn't want to do two parters because we can't do a three episode show. So we then skipped, and then we started to do well. Then we're looking at Doctor Octopus. Well, we've done Spider-Man 2. You know, we've done Doctor Octopus. We started to find other characters that we'd already done a couple of times. So we skipped ahead to... Episode episode 6. The Sting of the Scorpion. So, I'm taking the VHS out of my bin where I store all my stuff of ignorance. Come on, Gumbo Kid. Gumbo Kid. Jeez, that's going to be on a badge. Episode 6, The Sting of the Scorpion. While being turned down for a date by Felicia Hardy, Peter's spidey sense goes off and he goes off to investigate. Atop a building, he spots someone running into an alley, but before he can make a move on him, the building he's on suddenly explodes. Regaining his composure, he spots several armed robbers exiting the building. After webbing one of the criminals, they try to take Spidey out with a rocket launcher. But after missing several times, Spider-Man webs them up, but not before taking a picture of himself saving the day. Uh, Little uh, video game reference here. Jennifer Hale there playing Felicia. Uh, Same with the, the exact same voice she used for Dr. Naomi Hunter from Metal Gear Solid. Just thought I'd mention that. Also, getting back to the sense... I know it's a geeky thing to do. Uh, I, I, getting back to the sense... Mate, this is, a, yeah. this is a Marvel podcast. I don't think there's... 
I don't think there's any rule on how geeky we get. This is true. Uh, I also loved, uh, getting back to censorship, how they're not allowed to show realistic weapons and they show a rocket launcher that looks like a laser cannon designed by Apple. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the, the rules on it, it... It's a bit like Batman's no-gun rule. Yeah. Yeah. Whilst he loads the Batmobile with rockets and missiles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what are we what are we doing here, Bruce? Yeah, uh, yeah. They're smart missiles. They shoot anywhere but the target. Wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. I, I, I like the design. I, I like the way around that. I was like I saw that in the X Men too, because me me I'm a bit of a gun geek, so I spot these things immediately. Uh some of Spidey's dialogue, again, it actually made me giggle out loud in some of this. I can't, it's funny. It's funny, yeah, it's actually it's kind of funny. funny. Yeah. It's quite a relief because like, usually you watch cartoons like this, like X Men. There was a lot of duff dialogue where they're trying to be funny, and I'm like, "Come yeah. on, try harder." But this is actually, oh no, that's good writing. Uh, Deborah Whitman uh, was in the last episode, and now it's someone else, another lady. Who is Felicia Hardy? Have you heard the name before, Felicia Hardy? I have not heard the name before. Felicia Hardy in the comic books is the Black Cat. Yeah, um, Black Cat. A- yeah. yeah. A jewel thief and adventurer who kind of straddles the 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 legality, the 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 line on laws and stuff, and meets Spider Man. They have some adventures together, and they eventually start a relationship together. Oh, but I, oddly I, enough, yeah. What we, what's well, I was I was just going to say. Wait a minute, a a a, a woman cat who who straddles the line between good and bad. Yeah. This is yeah. yeah. It's it's Catwoman. It's and it's a cat burglar. It's weird. It's yeah, it's really it's a, it's really weird. Yeah. Um, but but oddly, this 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 relationship is like a, it's a it's an in costume relationship. She does not know Spidey's identity to begin with, so they have a this this thrilling like relationship. that's all about you know catching bad guys and stopping you know stopping and jumping around rooftops together mm. and and saving each other's lives it's a real adrenaline relationship she's not a fellow student at college um or anything like that but what the, what the black cat is attracted to is spider-man mm. it's this the thrill of the action in his life and the adrenaline the adventure and in fact the first time she felicia sees him without the mask on she's revulsed not necessarily at Pete's face but she hates the idea that Spider-Man is just a normal guy she is not interested in that she is interested in this cool sexy guy in the costume that has this amazing adventurous life um, but they progress with their relationship Black Cat works to clear her name and her reputation by doing good deeds and stuff while she's with Spidey but she also urges him to basically abandon his life as Peter Parker. Mm. To get rid of all the entanglements yeah. of, of his personal life and his job and everything. Saying that he doesn't need a job. Like He can just be Spider-Man. He can just have adventures, <laughs> save people, and then take whatever he wants or needs as a reward. Right? Like, Don't we deserve rewards? Um, it's an interesting dynamic. And, and it, it, it comes... It comes during a period of time where Mary Jane has dumped Peter and like ran off and and they're not together. And it's this really ex- it's, it's it feels like it's meant to be a really exciting fling mm. for Pete to get it out of his system and to move on and everything. But Pete can't help but try to 
change Black Cat, try to save Black Cat, try to get her into a traditional relationship, which she does not want. And then she flip-flops over the years from criminal to hero and, and, and back again. She's usually a, a thorn in his side, but like not one that's out to kill him and destroy yeah. him and take over the city. And, you know, very much like Catwoman, very much. Um, this brings us to basically the the Gwen Stacy issue. Ah, right, right? okay. So John Semper has said that they, they knew they were going to go with Mary Jane a little down the line as the main love interest, but Pete, the great thing about Spider-Man in the 60s and 70s and 80s and beyond, you know, not necessarily the 90s because then he gets married to Mary Jane, but the great thing about him is that he's got this he's got this evolving and revolving love life and we keep getting new characters and Spider-Man keeps getting in the way and all of that drama that soap opera drama is really good Um, but he did not want to use Gwen Stacy at all because he knew that that, that how that story ends she's killed off, Mm. the audience is forever waiting for the Green Goblin to throw her off a bridge and kill her and they were never going to do that so he didn't even want to use Gwen Stacy. Also, I don't know, maybe he realised and recognised that Gwen Stacy is a lame character. Yeah. So instead, he decides to use Felicia Hardy and kind of forget the Black Cat bit, but use Felicia Hardy, make her a student at, at Empire State University, and basically give her all of the stories and, and personalities that he would have given to Gwen Stacy if they'd used... If they use it, so Deborah uh, in the in the first one and and Felicia Hardy here are kind of almost stand-ins for Gwen Stacy because they're not going to do her. That makes sense. It, it it's just it's just less complicated that way. Yeah. Okay, back to the show. The next day, Peter Parker is showing off his shots to editor Robbie Robertson. But while the editor is impressed by the photos, the irritated J. Jonah Jameson is suspicious. Parker notices the man entering Jonah's office is the same person he saw running away last night. The man is Mac Gargan, a private investigator hired by Jameson to find out how Peter gets such good photos of Spider-Man. A moment later, Spider-Man enters the room, webbing up Mac. To protect his identity, Spider-Man threatens to squash Parker and Jameson if he doesn't get off his case. This threat triggers Jameson to remember similar words which were said to him shortly before his wife was murdered by gangsters. Jonah agrees to Spider-Man's demands and the web-slinger exits out the window with a slightly distraught Jameson saying to himself, it won't happen again. Jameson makes a deal with Gargan to get back at Spider-Man for him with a trick up his sleeve that will get Spider-Man out of his hair forever before arranging a call with Professor Stillwell. Oh my god, I was not expecting that story for James. I because I, I I thought Jameson was just horrible and it's like, oh no. He, he that's tragic. That's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's really uh re- I I was so taken aback by that and it made me sympathize with him because you actually see him weak. He is trembling. And it's like, yeah. wow, this cut to the core of him. And uh, not only is that because it's from a from the storyline from a character I've known for a while. This is a children's cartoon. This is this is shocking. It is, yeah. yeah. It, it certainly has kind of those uh, Batman animated series level yeah. of 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 kind of pathos and tragedy to it, yeah. which is um, not 
which is something you do associate with Spider-Man comics, but he's an all-round brighter character. People might not have been expecting it from, from this cartoon. Exactly. Also, oh my God, Martin Landau. Martin Landau. Come on, baby. Oscar-winning actor, legendary actor, Martin Landau, playing uh, Mac Gargan. The Scorpion. Yeah, I, was, <laughs> he, he, I was amazed. Yeah, no, no, I was just, he, he doesn't... He doesn't play him like throughout the series. I think he only plays him in the first and maybe the next one. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I I really enjoy I really enjoyed that. Uh, I, I loved him in uh, Edward, the film Edward. You ever seen that? In, oh yeah, oh yeah, incredible, incredible yeah. performances. Bella Lugosi. Uh, I like the as I said, I, I really like this backstory for Jameson. Uh, I take it that's in the comic books though, and that's why he hates Spider Man. No. Oh no. 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 They invented all of this for the cartoon oh, series. That, bravo, bravo! It's a really interesting question, though, isn't yeah. it? Why, why does Jameson hate Spider-Man, and almost particularly Spider-Man, so so much? Um, in 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 the very first issue of, of Amazing Spider-Man, Jonah is seen touring around New York giving lectures and town hall meetings, decrying Spidey as a dangerous menace. He gives like a little show, a little talk, mm. <laughs> that, 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 that all mm. the parents and concerned business owners come to. And the reason he gives in his talk is that if we allow children to think of Spider-Man as a hero, they will try to emulate what he does, act outside the law and hurt themselves. He says... Children should want to emulate traditional heroes like firefighters, police, and... And then he holds up a picture of his own son. My son, Captain John Jameson, test pilot and astronaut. And that's how like, he ends his speeches. I thought it would have been funnier if he just held up a picture of John Wayne or something. Was, <laughs> no. and, and, and later in that same issue, yeah. Captain John Jameson's space shuttle is sabotaged mm. and they're all going to die. Spider-Man saves him and Jonah sees that the saving of his own son as attention seeking glory hog behavior um and then a few issues later someone else asks him why to keep his this vendetta against spider-man the daily bugle and he says flatly and out outright it's because it sells newspapers no other reason people would love it or hate it people buy newspapers um, That's now, honest. For many people, the definitive answer is one that Steve Ditko wrote pretty much in Amazing Spider-Man issue ten. Mm. And it's a, back in those days, uh, certain characters would have a soliloquy where they actually kind of vo- vo- verbalize their their true feelings mm. to nobody. They're in, alone in a room. They're sad. They're angry. Whatever. And Jonah's dialogue is thus All my life I've been interested He's like distraught in this scene All my life I've been interested in only one thing Making money And yet Spider-Man risks his life Day after day with no thought of reward And if a man like him is good Is a hero What am I? Mm. I can never respect myself While he lives Spider-Man represents Everything that I'm not He's brave Powerful and unselfish. The truth is, I envy him. I can never climb up to his level. So all that remains for me 
is to try and tear him down. Because heaven help me, I am jealous. Oh, that's um, That was the early Jameson. The Jameson that keeps funding attacks on Spider-Man. The Jameson that creates the Scorpion and some other supervillains and hires villains to unmask Spider-Man and beat him in public and stuff. And over the years with different writers coming and going the Jameson character softened a lot and was often written more humorously and more petty Mm. Um, which is I like that one modern approach to why he hates Spider-Man was to explain that Jameson's stepfather was a respected war hero in public but behind closed doors he was an abusive man that beat Jameson which created in Jonah a distrust of people that put themselves up as public heroes, especially people that hide behind a mask. Yeah. And another then another modern interpretation, like ignored all that and basically boiled the whole thing down to Jameson's son again. Um in the early days before Spider Man was a superhero, when he was just a guy that was appearing on television and wrestling and stuff mm. and was just, you know, a t- wanted to be a celebrity. Captain John Jameson was booked to appear on a late night talk show but gets cancelled because Spider-Man shows up and they can get him instead. <laughs> and that, like... Rah! I much prefer the petty explanations that are all to do with Jameson's ego and pride. Um, I think, one, they're funnier... And two, I feel it's kind of way more relatable. Like, especially in this modern world where people seem to cling to insane opinions in the face of overwhelming evidence. And <laughs> they do it because it would hurt their pride to have to hold their hands up and say, hey, guys, I got it wrong, so I'm changing my mind. Mm. Like, they've got to climb down and what a, that would just bruise their ego. I think that's a lot more relatable right now, personally. Oh, definitely right now. Okay, so back to the episode. At Empire State University, James and Gargan meet with Professor Stillwell, who shows them his new scorpion battle suit. Stillwell gets Gargan to don the battle suit while he places a scorpion inside the Neogenic Recombinator before firing at Gargan. The Neogenic Recombinator then changes Gargan's DNA to match that of a scorpion, the natural predator of a spider. The next day, Jameson follows Spider-Man swinging through Manhattan in a piloted helicopter and gives Gargan the signal to attack. He snaps Spider-Man's web, causing him to plummet to the ground, and as soon as Spidey gets back up, the two fight, all while Jameson watches from the chopper. Gargan is stronger and faster than Spidey, with a tail that also fires corrosive acid. After he beats Spider-Man by bursting open a water tower on him, Gargan sees his reflection in the pooled water and goes mad, seeing the monster he has become, saying that Jameson tricked him. So this episode, right, is getting a lot. Murdered wife, and now a monster who hates his existence. (laughs) It's getting a lot. Very phantom. Yeah, very... Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, is this the Scorpion's origins in the comic books? Uh, and also, let's get down to it. I've said it enough times. What the hell is a Neogenic Recombinator? 
De Neo Johnny De Neo The Robert De Niro Decombinator Robert De Is Is like Created for this series It's not from the comics And it's used throughout the series To explain Pretty much most mutations And stuff It's We had it in the Connors one The Lizard one We get it in the Morbius Episodes as well and when they do show Spidey's origin later on, it's all down to the Neogenic Recombinator as well. It's basically what tends to happen with adaptations outside of comic books is they get very, very concerned that the science has to... Like, in the old... The original explanation was radiation. <laughs> it radiated a spider and it bit him. And that caused powers. And Marvel don't, you know... They're fine, whatever, it doesn't matter. It's a different world, they'll carry on with it in the comics. But adaptations seem to need either to make more up-to-date sense, like, oh, it's now to do with genetic experimenting rather than radiation or whatever, or this this, uh, series goes full sci-fi weirdness, like words that don't, don't make sense, whack them together, and there you go. Recombinator... Sounds like it's recombining things, recombining things. Neogenic sounds a little bit like genetic, but not quite. It's new. Neo means so, new. Yeah. So, new genetics. Yeah. No, genic does not mean genetics. Okay, well, genic is not a word, as far as I'm aware. Oh, I thought I had it pegged. But, but, but other than that, this is pretty much what, what happens in the comic books, yeah. Um... Wow. After Matt Gargan is like unable to find out how, because so in the sixties, uh, Peter Parker only sells his incredible, exclusive, amazing photos to Jameson, under the condition that Jameson like never like asks how he gets the photos, mm. and he explains that away as being I'm underage, I'm a 15, I'm fifteen, mm. I don't want the hassle of anyone, you know, law or employment or whatever. So he, he, Jameson hires Gargan to like get to the bottom of this. Does he have a connection to Spider Man? Um, but he, he he fails to find anything out. So Jameson hires Professor Stillwell to make him even stronger than Spider Man. That's the whole thing. Scorpion is going to be stronger and more powerful than Spider Man, so that he can defeat him and and drive him out of New York. Uh, and so yeah, Stillwell uses a scorpion to to mutate Gargan, gives him great strength and and um, other scorpion like abilities. Like mm. he's got a very very strong grip, <laughs> which is meant to be like pins, meant to be like the scorpion's pincers and stuff. And he builds this battle suit. Now it doesn't have the um, in the sixties. It doesn't shoot acid. Like this one does, he gets that later on. The in the eighties, I think he gets an acid to chew out from his tail. Originally, it's just this seven foot metal tail that he can swing at like ninety miles an hour. <laughs> um, yeah, and it looks weird. Scorpion, it's the way Steve Ditko draws, which is to draw everyone to look really ordinary mm. so it's just a guy in like a green balaclava and a bodysuit with a massive tail going i'm gonna kill you <laughs> <laughs> just just going just going nuts on spidey yeah weird i would like to see that uh where where was i ah back to the episode 
Gargan takes Jameson to the Oscorp nuclear power... Oh, sorry, have I got to the right bit? Oh, no, 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 no. You skipped ahead I've a bit there. I skipped ahead, sorry. At the bugle, Jameson sees the trail of destruction caused by Gargan and guiltily admits to Robbie that he helped create him, saying how, go- how, af- how uh, after going after the story, his wife was killed by a man in a mask and since swore to protect the city from people who hide behind masks and act above the law. At Steelwell's lab... Great explanation. It is a good explanation, but... I don't know why they didn't... But, but it's just... It, I don't know. It just, it just feels like... Surely you would have had time to realise that Spider-Man isn't a gangster who's going to shoot someone's wife. Oh, well, yes, but characters and long-running things can't really keep... can't really change, can I they? know. I know. No, no character development here. Uh, just at that... Sorry. At Stillwell's lab, the professor tells Jameson that the effects of neogenics are making Gagan mentally unstable. Just at that moment, Gagan... Gagan and sorry, is it Gagan or Gargan? Sorry, it's Gargan. Suddenly, it, suddenly the R's been dropped from all the spellings of the name. Oh, sorry, that's my bad. Gargan, Gargan. It's impossible for Gargan to become human again. Sorry, at that moment, Gargan bursts into the room, demanding to be fixed. When Stillwell says it's impossible for Gargan to become human again, he knocks out Stillwell and kidnaps Jason. While on the phone to Aunt May, Spider-Man spots Gargan fleeing across town with Jameson in tow, and he pursues. See, this is what I wanted when I was watching this. Less 2D villains, like, you know, was it Cackling Madman? That you, these the trope you say, the Cackling Madman trope. And more explanations yeah, to why yeah. people the way they are. Great to see this in a kid's cartoon. I like this. I, I, I'm a big it's fan very, of this. Yeah, it's very, it's very, you know, it's very classic Marvel. It's, it's, it, it's all emotion and it's all tragedy and pathos and all of that it's wonderful love it love it so scorpion is a pretty much a reluctant monster in this episode is it like that in the comic books is he under someone else's sort of control he never really want to get into that sort of thing no no he was a straight <laughs> no. up git as soon as he becomes the scorpion and realizes how strong and powerful he is he like flips off jameson goes see ya and and still well and like just Runs off to start a crime spree immediately. Immediately a crime spree. Good boy. Immediately going to steal everything I want. Like the only thing that's been holding Gargan back from, like stealing loads of stuff and robbing banks, has been getting caught. And now he's powerful. Off he goes to cause mayhem. Wow. Um, and, and and right after mutating a living person with radiation, Professor Stillwell realises that might not have been a good idea. And he's actually made a huge mistake. And he starts to think that the radiation is, is going to probably unbalance Gargan. And he, he says something like the his personality will be overwhelmed by the predatory instincts of a scorpion. It will make him a predator. Mm. So... He creates an antidote to take to take all the powers away and reverse it, and he and he kind of runs off to find Gargan and tries to throw an antidote at him. <laughs> and Gargan discovers the side effects. He knows what's happening to him, but he does not want to give up these powers at all. Stay away from me, or I will kill you. Do not take my powers away. Um, Professor Stillwell climbs up something high to try and chase him. Falls off to his death. Gargan makes sure there's no cure coming anytime soon, leaves the professor to die, and carries on his amazing crime spree. <laughs> Fair play. Uh, back, to this, back, to the, uh, back to the show. 
Gargan takes Jameson to the Oscorp nuclear power plant, aiming to unleash radiation so he can turn back, but will also irradiate New York City. After melting a hole on the roof of the power plant, Spider-Man swings in, kicking Gargan into the building and rescuing Jameson. After lowering Jameson's safety inside the plant, Gargan appears and tries to fight Spidey, but accidentally punches a nearby control panel, removing the control rods from the reactor, triggering a meltdown. Spidey tells Jameson to press the big red button on another console that should stop the meltdown from happening, but before he can press it, Gargan traps him in his tail. Spidey saves Jameson again, but is bear-hugged by Gargan. Is this how Spidey... Bear-hugged to death. Bear-hugged, yeah, he's just he's gets squeezed. Is this how Spidey's first fight with the Scorpion goes? In the, in the comic book, Scorpion is so much stronger than Spider-Man um, that in the first encounter, basically, he tears through Spidey's webbing, mm. which up until that point had been the number one way Spider-Man fights. Web people up, web things and swing from them. Still is, really, but like that, never, his webs had never been ripped apart before. Yeah, I imagine um, that was a big thing for him. Yeah, he rips the, rips the webbing off and then uses the like throws the webs at Spider-Man and 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 webs Spidey up with his own webs and then <laughs> beats him unconscious. Um and he's like he's like a prize fighter. He's won. He's he's like standing on this rooftop or whatever and he's like like Jameson's overhead in the helicopter and he's like I can beat anyone. Ah! And stops listening to Jameson and then Jameson wants him to pull the mask off to like further humiliate Spider-Man and all that, but Gargan is just done now, taking on as he runs off. Uh, when he realises the Professor Stillwell is dead, Gargan's like, ah, oh, like the only person who knows my real identity is Jonah Jameson, so I've got to go and murder him immediately. <laughs> um, so he goes to kill him in his office, and Spider- they, have a, they have a second fight, and Gargan again is just beating the, the daylights out of Spider-Man. Spidey basically kind of has this second wind and realises that he doesn't have to be stronger than the Scorpion. He just has to be quicker and dodge everything. So he dodges all his blows, yeah. manages to rip his tail off. Ooh. And once he rips his tail off, he's taken away lot, a lot of Gargan's like, uh, fighting capabilities. And that's how he... That's how he manages to kind of over overcome him. But it's always written that like Scorpion beat Spider-Man twice in a row before Spidey kind of managed to just about come back. That was kind of de rigueur for new Spidey villains. Around that time, Spidey would always get beaten the first time out. And then he'd have to regroup, regroup, and generally he would come up with a way to defeat the villain, like a scientific way, or a, he'd come up with a new gadget or experiment or something, or he'd work something out. Ah, oh, he can only do this when he's in water or something like that. This time he just rips a man's tail off. <laughs> <laughs> I I like that. I like that. So we're coming to the end of the episode. It's a good tactic. It's a good tactic. Coming to the end of the episode now. Jameson, however, tries to distract Gargan so Spidey can reach the control panel. While Spidey runs to the button, Gargan stops yelling at Jameson to call, uh, to stop calling him names before hitting Spider-Man and accidentally melting another panel with acid. 
Spidey then has a quick idea. He launches a barrage of childish insults at Gargan until he's enraged enough to swing his tail at him. But before his tail hits Spidey, he pulls a loose electrical cable out and shocks him. Jameson quickly presses the button and prevents the meltdown while Spidey webs up Gargan. Spidey offers a handshake to Jameson, but he slaps it, saying it doesn't change a thing between them. The next night after coming... (laughs) I know, I know. I love that. It's just typical. I love Jonah. The next night after coming out of the ESU, Felicia drives up to him and and she tells Peter that she finds him unpredictable and that they can have lunch together sometime. Ah. So you'd think after admitting for being responsible for Gargan... Jameson would be out of a job. It's like Rupert Murdoch admitting to being responsible for ISIS. <laughs> it's the same thing. But but he only told his underling. He only told yeah, he told his like I don't his good the, the good he, underling. The the one with the good heart. Yeah. Yeah. The the the, the secret of um Scorpion's connection to Jameson goes undiscovered for, for years and years in the comics. Um Spider Man doesn't know, the public doesn't know. It's just Gargan and Jameson. And to the point where, like, Spy doesn't quite know, why does the Scorpion always try to kill you, Joe, Jane, and Jameson? Um, yeah. Suspicious. So, does Jameson ever get on Spider-Man's side? We delved into a bit of this in our bonus episode on the superior Spider-Man. There is a period of time when J. Jane Jameson... Uh, is fully on Spidey's side, Spider-Man starts using a lot more aggressive tactics, um, starts to be a lot more aggressive with criminals, starts speaking in a very odd manner and and uh, becomes um, proactive instead of reactive. Instead of saving people, he's out there like just attacking people before they can deal drugs and stuff like that. Mm. And uh, the, the slightly right-wing Jameson is like, yes, a Spider-Man I can get on board with. What he doesn't know is that this Spider-Man isn't Spider-Man, it is Dr. Octopus yes. possessing Spider-Man's body. And so what Jameson is really on board with is Doc Ock. Yeah. Um, and they become uh, very close. You know, they, they, they work together. Um, and this is at a time when Jameson is the mayor of New York. Oh yes, that that period. Um, but it all goes wrong because Spider Man keeps Doc Ock. Spider Man keeps pushing Jonah to make new laws for him, bend new laws for him, give him funding, um, all this sorts of stuff, and basically starts blackmailing Jameson with a secretly recorded tape. And um, that makes their relationship even worse. <laughs> um, because, you know, J- after the fact, Jameson has no idea this wasn't Spider-Man, this was Doc Ock. In 2018, the Spidey-Jonah relationship finally came to a head. Um, they had a very big, long heart. Like, the whole issue is just them talking about their relationship. Mm. Big heart-to-heart. It was set up as, like, an interview, basically. Um, and at the end of it, Spider-Man takes his mask off and reveals his identity to J. Jonah Jameson. Oh. And Jonah has finally a change of heart. Because he's known he's known Pete since Pete was fifteen and now he's an adult and he he does have he, he does have a lot of great good feelings towards Pete. And 
they were nearly fam- they were family for a brief period of time because Jonah's dad married Aunt May, so they 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 had this this kind of cousin brother relationship. <laughs> and at the end of that issue, Jonah vows to be better to 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 Pete and Spider, and mm. he ends up becoming Spidey's sidekick slash assistant. Um, <laughs> It's it's a really fun dynamic, um, like helping him with like tech support and info and things on where villains are and what's going on and and, and you know he does he does computer stuff while Spidey's web swinging and in fights and he researches things, and at the same time he gets a job on a talk radio show, and tries to publicly repair the damage that that he's been doing to Spider-Man's reputation mm. um, over the years. So those are two times when Jonah was finally on Spidey's side. Thank you then, Will, as ever, for ably taking us through Spider-Man, the animated series. Um, another chapter in our exploration of Marvel's 90s animated universe Uh, it's really interesting that you've never seen this before and this is your first glimpse at this series coming 25 years after the fact final thoughts then on on the show overall uh really good really good um i really want to watch the entirety of this i want to binge this on disney plus i i really want i i i i just i I, i'm really taken aback by how much uh, for a for a Saturday morning cartoon, this is this you know how good this is because I've watched a fair amount with an adult brain and God, it's all it's good for a Saturday morning cartoon, but this is another level. It's great. It really stands yeah, up. It's great. It's re- it's really exciting. It's funny in the right places, mm-hmm. um, and it's still wrought with that kind of emotion that we love. That kitchen sink drama, that soap opera that we love. Yeah. Um, and it really, I mean, I don't know how you'll feel about it as it gets more and more science fiction-y, but there's loads of cool stuff that happens in it and bigger stories and things. Um, and I, you know, I'm excited for us to be able to carry on like we are with the X-Men and things, to, to be able to explore more individual chapters and, and let that help us explore more more Marvel stories. Um the reading list then before we go people are always asking uh for where they can get there I and mean, that's the one thing that I I love to see I love to get this feedback that we see in letters and in tweets and things of, of people saying based on your recommendation I bought this comic and I've really enjoyed it and I, and since I enjoyed that I then went and bought something else and for us to be able to introduce people to comic books is super super cool I will say lizard and Scorpion don't have many amazing stories, like really rem- memorable, incredible stories. Um, or not because they're not really long-running characters, so it's kind of hard to play some of this stuff. I think the really fun Lizard Morbius six-armed Spider-Man story is great. That takes place with um, Amazing Spider-Man issue one hundred, one hundred one, and one hundred two. Three-issue kind of story. It's kind of tricky to track down. It is available in a big collection called Marvel Masterworks Amazing Spider-Man Volume 11, but that's really pricey from what I've seen. So I recommend a uh, a little paperback collection from 1996 
called Spider-Man Strange Adventures. You can get this secondhand. As I said, it's from 96. It's got those three issues plus a Howard the Duck story <laughs> and something else, and it's loads cheaper. So if you can get hold of Spider-Man Strange Adventures, it has that that fun monster kind of story going on. Probably um, the Lizard is hard because a lot of um, Lizard stuff is kind of more fun when it's Dr. Connors and he's a good guy and the mm. Lizard's tortured. So Secret Wars is really good for Lizard stories. We, we've done big bonus episodes on the Secret Wars. The first Secret Wars from the 1980s, uh, 70s, 80s, 80s, is really good for the Lizard. Um, probably the best-looking Lizard story is called Torment, which is when Tom McFarlane was drawing and writing the series. Um, you can find that in either... It's either called Spider-Man Tom McFarlane or it's Spider-Man Torment. Yeah. And this marks a period of time where from from that from like the early 90s onwards the lizard becomes a very dark character um who is always monstrous and bestial and kind of gets a lot more violent. Um the best scorpion story is really hard to get my head around. I think if I'm recommending something you'll enjoy reading, it's probably a very modern age one, which you can find in a collection called Spider-Man Matters of Life and Death. Um, and that's when an, a depowered near-death Matt Gargan receives a power upgrade, returns as a brand new Scorpion, even more powerful, joins the Spider-Slayers in, in wreaking personal revenge on Jonah Jameson, who is now the mayor of New York. Cool story, um, and if I mean I don't, you probably would have tracked this down as a secondhand one, but the issue where Peter and Jonah have that whole issue talk heart to heart, talk about their whole relationship, and and, and Spider Man finally reveals who he is. That's from something called Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider Man, issue number six. Just a single issue. You should be able to track that down somewhere along the way. Um, that is the reading list for this week. Will, we thank you as ever for your incredible stalwart work there yes. in uh, using ignorance as a, as, a, as a light to guide us through and all the production stuff you researched as well. It's just our first trip into Spider-Man, the animated series. We will be back. Speaking of being back, next week's special presentation of our patreon exclusive episode that's no longer exclusive we're releasing it to all of you to celebrate our one year anniversary to celebrate the versiversary a special presentation of uh, the age of apocalypse and then on our regularly scheduled episode the week after we'll be back um in the real time not the past uh, with a deeper dive into two characters that are gaining a lot of attention right now the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We're going to work hard to avoid spoilers, but we're going to take a deeper look into the comic book history of those characters and some of the other characters that have cropped up in the new Disney Plus series. So make sure you come back week on week for more Marvel vs. Marvel. Thanks for listening to Marvel vs. Marvel. Please take the time to rate us like us give us five stars leave a review subscribe hey why not recommend us to a friend who loves marvel movies and comics join us next time for a special presentation 
of the Age of Apocalypse.